So, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you listen to this. This is Matthew Bailey alongside my critique and partner in crime, Ricardo Medina. Hello, 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 hello. And this is another episode of Bears, Beats, and Bailey. So, this is like, well, I could see it's like a couple of weeks since we, since we met up online. Yeah, we took a break for a week. Uh... Yeah, well, well, roughly a week, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Um, um, it's good. It really had nothing to talk about, yeah, last, yeah. my opinion. Nothing really. Like, we had no movies. Only had certain movies come out this weekend, Trinidad. So, yeah. yeah uh, next, um, we'll have extra stuff, but yeah. Yeah, a couple of trailers came out. The Wonder Woman trailer that I assume everybody in the whole wild world saw and right. enjoyed and loved. I mean, we, we saw it and we enjoyed it. So, that's, fine, that's yeah. all we have to say about that. Um, the Transformers, the, well, the latest Transformers trailer came out um, last week, too. Didn't care for it, wasn't wowed by it. The only cool thing is that we have like a, a, a actual like female protagonist this time. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, yeah. And oh, well the big catch is, is that she's a girl. Ooh, you know what I mean? But yeah. apart from all that, it still doesn't say I'm special what I have to do with vagina. Yeah. Yeah. But still but it, it, it doesn't explain what the title means or what yeah, it has to do with medieval knights or what yeah. Anthony Hopkins had to do with this. Or even what right. Mark Wahlberg had to do with this. I don't know. It it's just not warm. I, I, I sorry, I sorry. Maybe, yeah. maybe the last trailer might do it for me, but I just really have like really, really low expectations. And these trailers not help him at all. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh Right, there was a particular trailer that you mentioned before we uh we, we came online. Um uh, for a particular film. I think it's based off of a book, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, we just have all the other little trailers, yeah. So stuff like um The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lax is a famous book about right. five or six years ago. Um, okay. What what is it about? Well, right, know, it's kind of, actually show. quite a fascinating story. It's about this woman who had a form of cancer, and then they take the cancer and they realize that her cells, the cancer cells, what they call healer cells, keep multiplying, and she's like this special person because no other person, no other type of cell ever uh, could do this now. So they basically took this biology, this bio, this little piece of like biology, and then you know use it in all kind of research. And, you know, potentially billions of dollars was made. So it's a whole interesting story of her family and a whole back and, back and forth about it. Um, apparently, Oprah Winfrey playing the daughter of the character because the book is from the daughter's perspective telling right. the author about her mother. And, okay. So who, I, who is playing the mother? Do you have any idea? Do you remember? I the actress. Yeah, I, I right. forget. And then um, this girl playing the the actress. I think Rose Byrne playing the, the author. Okay. Right. And they're just telling the story from the author's perspective. From, oh. the book, from I remember, I remember reading the book, and the author was just kind of just running through, just running through her, her experience about what went down. Yeah. Right. Really, really big popular book. Um, in terms of mostly it does get into like medical ethics and that kind of stuff. A lot of it is that, but it's just a really nice personal story about the family and what they went through. And they, they kind of just like well, a big part of it is you know again the ethics part is who should I make money off or what now? Yeah. So you know whatever. Um, also, you say the third season, trailer for the third season of The Leftovers, which I'm a very big fan of. That's an excellent show, in my opinion. All right. You need to check that out. I think it's the third and final season, right? Yes. Yeah, so now um, I have more reason to go and watch this. Stuff. I'm actually yeah. quite glad that they're wrapping it up instead of going on indefinitely. Uh, oh, you mean a, you're just judging by, by the track record, by HBO's track record or something, or what? Or just that well, the story doesn't know, have that far to go? Exactly. And, you know, shows like that, you know, it, it, what happens that a lot of people compare it to Lostness and one of the big problems with Lost is that it went on a little too long and end up, they just end up fucking up the ending because they add all extra bullshit in it. A little too long, you see. <laughs> I yeah, disagree, but... Like, what, right. six, six seasons? About, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they, that show like that should have wrapped up faster. 
And because it had it, because they add extra stuff to the plot, that's what mess up this, the future. And they cannot, I cannot answer any questions. All right, leftovers. I heard a lot of great things about it. So you know me when it comes yeah. to final season, I have to like see you know check it out for myself. So when it ends, it's like yeah, it's a yes. solid show. Yeah, I remember first season not being that awesome, but uh, second and third season is really excellent in my, for me. Uh, well, I mean, so the I, second I, season was great, but the third one looks pretty good from the truth. Yeah, this looks great. Yeah, this okay. looks pretty good. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and cool. um, this, what else? Um, the Matrix is supposed to have in a sequel. So originally, it was hyped to have in a reboot. There was supposed to be a reboot. Apparently, Michael B. Jordan was supposed to be playing Neo, and People was like, well, this kind of weird. Why do I reboot? There's so much stuff in the universe to talk about. I agree. Uh, so while it is, well, the writer on Twitter say, no, it's not necessarily a reboot. I don't think. And if I, he kind of more or less dismiss claims, which sounds like a backpedal, but he dismiss claims of it being a reboot. So hopefully it'll be a sequel slash expansion of the universe. Um, I, I hope so too, because yeah, after I, the disappointed way how revolutions ended, Right. You know, there's, there's room for more. Like, you know, at least yeah. hopefully with this movie here, we could get some questions answered instead of yeah, yeah. more questions. I, I, and I was just, just I, I show a lot of people online, including myself, like write out a template of what a Matrix, you know, sequel or expansion universe could or should look like. Yeah. have so much material to talk about right. in that universe. But, but dumb uh, question, because I didn't read all the details. The Wachowskis are going to be involved, right? I don't think so. Uh, huh, yeah, okay. So. But that's so their, their babiness. I don't know if putting it into somebody else's hands would work. I don't know. But that's the thing. You know, it's, it's a big question of whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. Um, don't know. I, mean, I think the Wachowskis are excellent filmmakers, but at the same time, you know, if they have too much creative control, they fuck things up. Yeah, so they, they, they could get, they could get really pretentious. I mean, look at Revolutions, for example. Yeah, yeah. but don't give them, just don't give them too much creative control over the actual story and narrative and mm-hmm. you'll get a good film yeah okay. if they do a book it's be good because yeah. i actually spent cloud atlas i thought that was great yeah that that that's honestly a show that i need to watch over again i, I think i mentioned this before in a previous um podcast it's just the way how it's edited the way how the stories were edited yeah. kind of threw me off you know quite a quite a lot of times actually so it's hard for me to kind of follow what was going on but right but it I, was a very I, I ambitious movie for its time, I would say that. Yeah, much. exactly. I yeah. thought it was really well done and how it was it was in, um, paced together. Uh, I thought it worked for the most part. You know, as usual, I do compare to the book, but still solid. Right. Um, um, is there any other, um, like, film-related stuff that we have to mention? Anything? Um, well, there's some news stuff. Well, not necessarily film-related per se. There's a couple deaths we could announce. Yes, um, yes. Well, we have to mention, um, well... Yesterday, I, I actually found this out. Um, you know, Chuck Berry, legendary yeah, rock, Chuck Berry. Uh, rock yeah. musician, passed away. Yeah, you know, I thought he was dead already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, 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 that 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 thought never crossed my mind to be honest. Okay, yeah. 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 So I, I thought he was actually. I thought he actually because I was like, oh, Chuck Berry's still alive. Oh, well, he's dead now. Okay, that yeah. catch me off. I mean, as an uh, African American, he just did so much in terms of um of of not just rock music but just music in general. You know, his influence is just yeah. It, it will it, it resonates and will continue to resonate pretty much yeah yeah um well uh well bernie rison died uh who is bernie um, rison may i ask bernie rison is a really really popular in the, in the industry at least a good few years back he's a really popular uh comic book artist uh, uh what, what books did he work on or what titles i should say oh, yeah you put him on the spot dave carol i can't remember off the top of my head okay well uh, well well what 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 uh company worked for dc marvel no, he was yeah, just, just image, general. Top cow. No, you know, he was general all over. He was not a specific artist anything. But he was mostly, you can find Marvel. Material in Marvel. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, famed comic book artist. Uh, pretty, and he's kind of young too. I don't know you're so young. Oh. Uh, I think you're around late 60s, I think. 
if I remember correctly. But yeah, mostly a lot of Marvel material you, you could have. And then um, also like a lot of just independent books. And then you should do, do stuff for covers. So like book covers as well. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. so that's it. And then, well, we could talk about uh, Derek Walcott. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how could yeah. we forget? How, how could us treaties forget? You know, yeah, great, yeah. great playwright, uh, great, great author, Derek Walcott, yeah. who passed away a few days ago at the time of this recording. I mean... Yeah. A great loss. I mean, like a lot of my friends on Facebook just, you know, expressed their their sympathies and regrets over, you know, his his passing and, and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of just literature, you know, well, well that, I don't want to say true that literature, but just Caribbean literature, he just contributed so much to that, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, I was mildly, mildly um, familiar with some of his poetry. That's pretty much it. I actually never really went through his, his catalog or over or anything like that as a uh, well, I think it's the same here too with, with me. Just more of his poems. Yes, yes. Yeah, Actually, come to think of it, yes, it's his poems that I that I know from you know from secondary school education. Not so yeah, much like true. reading the books. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's no film men. I'm not literature men. Uh, yeah. uh, well, oh, just last two little things just to talk about before we start reviews. Um, right. uh, Samurai Jack came back. Yeah, actually came back um last week. Yeah, last, la- week, last yeah. Saturday. Yeah. So, yeah, last Saturday. Yes, yeah, so episode two. Uh, I, so I, I keep it up with it. I keep it up with it. It's pretty goddamn awesome so far. Um, not, not surprised. Uh, 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 hearing, story. Yeah, I hear great things that that they keeping the the mom the they keeping the momentum and just the, the flow and just the way how yeah, it yeah, was yeah. from way back when and uh, you know right. It, I love it's that. Really, yeah, it's really beautiful. Really well done. Really you know well shot. Because the opening sequence of the first <laughs> episode is really badass and right. yeah, just great. Great television, have an awesome Sammy Davis Jr. something reference, which is really funny. <laughs> okay. You'll see it, you'll see it in the yeah. first episode. And then uh, the second episode was kick ass, right? I don't want to spoil it. But, please don't, please don't, uh, because I actually intend on just binging all, uh, sorry, yeah. all those 10 episodes. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a smart move, actually. I, I probably would do that. But um, yeah. what well, I mean, that, uh, I know it's not like a big overall arc, or I could be wrong, but I assume that just me watching all 10 episodes would just be sheer pleasure for me instead of okay, I always have to look forward to watching it Saturday nights or whatever. Well, it works. Well, the thing is, it not because the episodes is like a 22 episodes, 22 minutes, sorry, it's not so bad. Um, it's not like a 10-minute thing and then you, you feel to binge it. Yes, right, you know, right. it's fine. It, yeah, your approach is, the binge approach is fine. Um, okay, I'm not yeah. doing it, but yeah, that's fine, you know. Yeah, um, but what I'm wondering now is, 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 um, is, is it that do I have to recap myself? Because I was telling myself, I, I, I believe I mentioned this um, last time, I want to recap all four seasons, but I just haven't got around to it yet, unfortunately. Right. So I'm wondering um, if it makes sense to, or you'll pretty much be able that, to catch up on some what... People, some people some people, doing it. Uh, a couple of my friends doing it. They say because they couldn't remember Jack. And remember, it It, it has ended a while now, eh? Yeah, and, and I specifically remember things... the last episode, not really... It, it didn't really stop at a particular point or climax or whatever. It just kind of right. ended. It didn't do anything with, with Aku or anything like that. It just... Kind of right. ended. It was just like a, I don't want to say a throwaway episode, but it just kind of ended like, yeah, that's the end. Right. You know, moving on with life. So, I'd, but I right. still want to kind of check up and see, you know, just and well, the big moments, change. So. The big change is, um, the big change is this guy, well, this guy died before the show ended. Yeah, this was Mako, Mako. Yeah. Well, Miko is called yeah. Mako, whatever. <laughs> Mako, right. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, thinks, so the, the, guy, the, the guy who they got, who the, he replaced him in Avatar is the same voice actor they got him for, for the new Aku stuff. You oh. know, just to replicate his voice now. That, that I forget the guy's name. I, I, I never, I never um, got the, the guy's, well, the replacement guy's name, you know, from... Yeah, I forget his know, name. It's, it's yeah, from Avatar. 
Cameron something. I forget. I really forget. I know. Um, I but need to look guy, that up. Does he, he replaced him for the voice of Iroh in yes, Avatar. Yes, in Avatar, yeah. Right. So that's like, all right, good. That's good enough. Um, yeah. And then, well, uh, big news on the game in front. Um, tomorrow, well, no, Tuesday, well, tomorrow at midnight, uh, will be the launch on, well, the launch of Mass Effect Andromeda, the latest Mass Effect game. Word. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. You know, interesting. I will more likely be doing a review for next week's show. Please do, um, please do, please do. Yeah, yeah. But, if I you could get a hold of it and, and play it or something like that, if it's just like right, a, I mean, yeah, a demo or something, I yeah. I pre-ordered a while now, so it wasn't, it's not like I just waiting on a machine waiting to, to download. Right. Um, well, well, please, please check it out when you do get a chance. And right. yeah, by all means, I can't It's going to be interesting. Well, we got here and some interesting back and forth about it. And so I'll, I'll just play the game myself, enjoy it myself, see what's going on. Um, I'll nick nitpickers like me you know because i am one of the ones who de- i'm one of the big detractors of mass effect 3 and i heard that a lot of the same problems that in mass effect 3 in this one and there's a lot of back and forth in terms of the project and controlling the project right uh, so we'll see i expect cool. to enjoy it I, the thing is i never bought it for the story i'll admit because mass effect 3 was such a disappointment in terms of the narrative yeah, but the, multi- the multiplayer ended up being this amazing you know amazing product overall right um so i just did that the same for massive Andromeda. i was like yeah if the story sucks fine you know i, I expect the multiplayer to be good because all you have to do is just continue what they were doing for this and just bring in new ideas and new weapons or whatever it is and new characters and people you know a lot of fans will be happy and buy the, buy the game anyway yeah um, but, but it well although i am not a fan of, of mass effect i mean i've never played any of the games i know Suma. Right. I would imagine fans being very angered that the story sucks or makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it was one of those, that's the thing, because the last 10 years or so was one of those, those, this, you know, I don't know, last 10 to 15 years was one of those, like, just all these big sci-fis just having such massive letdowns, Lost, Battlestar Galactica, um, you know, a bunch of shows like that, and just have these huge letdowns, and there's a bunch of TV shows that have having shitty endings for a lot of people. Very few shows actually had good endings. Yeah. Uh, Massive Effect, one of those that was saying, Way, but you know they, they could they could be in charge of the project. Now there's a guy who does a fantastic um who did a really fantastic run through of all three games. Um, I his name. I was, I was looking it up. I was watching through this, his reviews of all three, and he just kind of gave a great synopsis of all three. Right. And he just for the final game, he just said, yeah, it was just, the project itself was plagued with issues overall, and you know it's just really really unfortunate how that played out. Right. 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 Yeah, just just really really sad. All the, the whole thing just turned out, turn out in this crappy way. But he said, you know, you know, a lot of reviewers don't really appreciate, you know, five years later when you really found out. Uh, the guy's name is Reykjavik, I think, or something like that. Reykjavik. I can't really pronounce it particularly okay. well. Reykjavik. Um, and he is a dude that just does a really nice little in-depth detail of of the you know all three games. Um, I do I recommend going over and playing over the franchise? Yeah, I do recommend it. Um, if you're not familiar with the material, you should just try and try to find the time. You don't yeah. have to cover. Just cover the main story, and you'll be fine. Um, the first game is a bit of a slog, I'll admit. Um, you know, the gameplay is really crappy and thing, but the story is so well done. And then the second game is a good balance between story and gameplay. Story was a mess in kind of a mess in the second game, but it improved the multi the game. And then the gameplay is by far the best in the third, and then the story was just a kind of flat mess, even though it had a lot of great moments in it. Um, but the overall plot just didn't work for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, Mass Effect is still a really great franchise. It's a great science fiction franchise that was largely conscientious in many ways and well, had big feelings in other ways, but I'm really ultimately excited to see what's going on with Mass Effect and Dropped Up. So I will be doing a review next. Sweet. I um, will be looking forward to that. I know a lot of people will be looking forward to 
to hear you know fans thoughts on this um new game that we're getting here right and, and the sad part about well I, i'm gonna talk I'll probably talk about this in review but the sad part is it became a bit of a, a theater for you know the current culture for culture war involving you know gay people and social justice warriors and all that feminism stuff and it's, it's unfortunate because it really poisoned the dialogue about what mass effect should be but wow. eh, so I it, it really tried to be like a like a tv show in a sense now when you think about it you know, well, trying to pander to certain, you know. Well, that, that's the whole thing. It, it not because it, it, in, at no point I get the sense that it, it's pandering in a in a in a naive sense. But a lot of people, you know, they, they can't help but see it. And the cynical people who jumped on early, and I'll probably just go into that back and forth because there's a lot to follow, and you know, it got really ugly at sometimes, especially after Mass Effect Three played out the way it did. And well, I heard I hear a lot of bad bad. It's a lot of poisonous reviews. I won't say out, out, outright bad reviews with Mass Effect Andromeda, but hearing some stuff. So I get the feeling that the Ill disappointment, but not, and then people just jump on and try to pile on, right? In a in a in a in an unfavorable and uncharitable way. So right. I, I, we'll see. Um, so that's it. So I'll just do the review. Okay. And, well, sweet. Speaking of stuff that was, speaking of fans being uncharitable towards something and critics being uncharitable towards something, we're gonna talk about Iron Fist. Ah uh, yes, yes, yes. We're gonna start things off with a show that unfortunately. I did not get around to see it because I mean, right. there was just so much of stuff that was going on all of last week. So um, I did not get to see, you know, the latest Marvel Netflix TV series. I yep. first, but fortunately, Ricardo did, so he will be doing the review for that. Right, I, um, I started. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, before I get to that, sorry, uh, we just, we still had to see what we're going to do next. Uh, right after that, um, I will do an album review. It's, okay. Uh, yeah, it's for... Um, the late great notorious B.I.G.'s his second and final album, Life After Death, which will be celebrated its twentieth uh, anniversary um, on March twenty fifth, and yeah. this of course is following after his death on March 9th, nine nine seven. You know the twentieth right. anniversary, which we um, which we kind of acknowledged um, uh, last week. Well, sorry, two Tuesdays ago, basically. Yeah. Right. So I'll be kind of covering through this kind of track by track. It's a double album, so. It's going to be a lot of stuff for me to talk about, but I'll just kind of run through it fast. I'm not going to, you know, ramble on about, you know, or analyze every single track and whatnot. And yeah, that's pretty much about, that's pretty much what I'm going to be doing for that um, album. Right. And of course, we finally got the chance to see two long-awaited movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Get Out, which is the debut right. feature from Jordan Peele, most yeah, famous boy. for, you know, the Key and Peele sketch comedy show, which yeah, still holds up. Yeah. What a transition, by the way. And yeah. Kong Skull Island, which is yeah. <laughs> going to be... Which is part, actually part of this big monsterverse or kaijuverse or whatever you want to call it that's going to tie in, you know, 2014's Godzilla and I assume some other famous creatures as well. Yeah. So, we'll start things off with, like I said, a show that unfortunately I didn't get around to see it. But before before we get to, to what you have to say... Um, since it since the series came out like uh, Friday, right? A lot of people were like on Facebook and they were kind of completed. Well, one guy was saying how Iron Fist was terrible and the shit and nothing about it works. Right. Some people were, were just picking certain things and saying, "Oh, that's cool, that's interesting, oh, that was sweet, and all that kind of thing." So, so just off of Facebook alone, I could tell that this show pretty much got mixed reviews. You know, it was like stellar reviews. It was like, "Oh my god, I love it, Luke Cage. Oh my god, I love it, Jessica right. Jones or Daredevil." But I haven't seen a single thing. So. Ricardo, fill me in. Let me know. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, Iron Fist. How was Iron Fist? Uh, okay, so that's the exact opposite problem of Luke Cage. Where... Opposite problem. Hmm. Okay, so Luke Cage started good. 
started fun and then kind of last half was kind of a slog. Yes. Mostly because they decided to get rid of Cottonmouth inexplicably. Yeah. Uh, that was a bad call. This is the, is the opposite. It starts really bad. And the thing is, so when I saw the, crit, the, the reviews, I saw the reviews, it has a very low score. It has like a 35 or so in Metacritic and has a 17 on Rotten Tomatoes. What? 1-7. Serious? So I, was, I didn't expect I was like, like 50 wow. or, or at least a 40, but 17? Nah. Nah. Yes. It's, it's really, really panned by the critics. And so Jeez. I was saying, okay, um, what going on? So here's the thing. I don't... When it comes to stuff like on Netflix, I don't really take the critics seriously because, one, the critics only get to see the first six episodes or so, and they judge that. Right. And so when I saw that, I was thinking, I was just, it, it immediately reminded me of uh, Bojack Horseman. I remember Bojack Horseman, first season, first six, ep- first six episodes was uh, was reviewed, and then it was actually quite mediocre. So it gets like a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes. Sorry, on uh, Metacritic. And then I was like, then I, but I watched out the whole thing and I was like, no, this deserves way higher than that. Not realizing at the time that um, the critics only watch the first five or six episodes. Oh, that makes sense because the first five or six episodes did deserve a 60 if you judge it only on that. Right, but but that's like, a, a stuff in it. Well, with Rotten Tomatoes, they actually do that. Um, a show right. could be like about three or four episodes in and they'll just give like a high score for that and they might end up keeping that same score, but they might just change the... The critical consensus a little bit. You might say, "Well, oh, maybe kind of falls of uh, falls flat to the end, but it's still an overall great series." But you see, exactly. they are judging off of the 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 the, the uh, first few episodes anyway. You know what I mean? Right. So it, it is very misleading, right, in the sense of how how the critics judge, you know, generally judge TV shows and in, in judging this show. Mm-hmm. However, <clears throat> still, watch, still watching the entire thing, it still kind of sucks. Um, wow. Okay, so here's well, the problem. Well, what is it about? What, what was okay, it about? So that, story, story, about story is about this guy called Danny Rand. Um, roughly 15 years before the events of the show, right. uh, he went missing. And he shows up all of a sudden. Arrow? Uh, <laughs> Arrow anyone? <laughs> right, basically. It's, it's pretty much Arrow. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost identical to Arrow in almost, almost every way. So he comes back to his company. You have wealthy parents. The wealthy parents dead in a plane crash. Uh. Um, he's He's spending, instead of spending on an island and being a badass, he was in a monastery and he learned this secret technique. And then he grew up learning, um, like, this technique called the Iron, Iron Fist. And the Iron right. Fist is just basically him having the ability to control his chi and basically turning his hand into this super weapon, essentially. Like, a more or less punch anything. Right. Uh, that, that, that reminds me of, uh, of Five Figures of Death or King Boxer. Right. That, that's a very, very, very famous um, kung fu flick. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's awesome. But that's that whole idea of like using all your power into like your fists and then your fists lighting up. I think that that this right. always reminds me of that movie. Right, pretty much that. But uh, the thing is, a lot of the, a lot of the like the underbelly devil, like the underbelly um, martial arts stuff from Marvel, it's just just ripping off all of that. Um, yeah, of course, of course. Did a lot of it. Electro did a lot of it. Yeah. And Iron Fist does a lot of it. Anyway, so basically, what it is he comes back to the company, but then no one believes him that he's Daniel Rand because for whatever reason, um, he has no good information to prove he's Danny Rand. And they have to kind of prove that over a period of time. Oh, so they make because like, he had a beard, so it's like they couldn't see. <laughs> that's the problem, is that a lot of it is really sloppy. And in terms of explaining, like, why characters don't ask certain questions or why characters don't ask this immediately. Mm-hmm. They explain it eventually, but the pacing is so strange that it doesn't really, like, flow really well now. Because characters should, like, ask simple questions and they don't. Right. And it's, it's hard to follow why it is that these characters won't ask these questions. Another problem. I'm just going to straight up say this. 
Finn Jones in this role is straight up really unlikable. What? Not a bad actor, but that character and how it's written, like, jeez, why? I just not getting into this character, George. What, what is he? Uh, he's a uh, solo? That's the thing. Okay, so I kind of get what you're trying to go for, where because he went missing for so long, he don't really have good personal skills now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I kind of get that is what you're trying to go for, because he basically went missing when he was, I don't know, like 11 or whatever, or 10, I forget. And he, so the, the whole flow of things in terms of how he, 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 how he thinks and acts towards people, is be kind of weird now. So he's supposed to be naive, and the idea is that he's so naive now. But, like, none of that makes sense, because you would have think that you'd have a totally different personality. So exactly, you're you were yep. in a monastery. I mean, they, they teach you about life, though. So That's why I studied you know what mean? Even though they say he was in a monastery and so and so. And I don't see that he had to be like a chick magnet or something like that, but I mean, he had to know how to, exactly. you know, handle himself now. Yeah. People in general and like all the lines are real cringeworthy and terrible. Now, again, I don't think it as bad as it doesn't deserve that low of a score that he, the critics get it, but I still give it pretty low. And I do give this lower than Luke Cage because wow. Luke Cage, plot wise, had a bunch of issues. And yeah, it, it did, it did. Um, what they Luke Cage was that they, they kind of seem to forget that they're in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, they so, try to be yeah. like this old kind of, like, you know, like a kind of gritty version of the wire again. So it's like trying to, right. like, recapture it, it, that the magic. Problem is that, the problem is that characters, they don't reference stuff in the sense that characters should be accustomed to a lot of the superhero shit by now. But in, in, Makes sense, Marvel, yeah. in this, they, like, almost completely forget that they, they live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, so there's, no, there's no reference yeah. or anything to, like, the Avengers? Uh, so they, make, they make a bunch of references to the other Defenders. So they make references to Cage, um, Claire, Claire, oh God, what's her name, boy? Um, Night Nurse, no? Oh, yeah, her, um, Rosario Dawson's character. Right. Uh, Claire, she's, in, she's in this one, right? Just remind, remind me. Yeah, she's in this. Of course. Duh. Uh, <laughs> she, she makes an appearance. Um, she uh, a good few episodes, actually. All right. Um, they link every they link stuff. They link stuff to Jessica Jones, um, the, the lawyer does um carry on most character, she shows up. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was uh, looking out for her in Luke Cage, but she wasn't there, but yeah. Yeah, no, not really. Now she shows up in this. Right. And she serves a really big purpose. And then they have then they show the powers and the fight. Here's the big problem. The choreography in this is garbage. Good God. Now if if I could just stop you there for a bit, right? I saw a clip, right? It's with this uh, Asian girl. I assume that she will eventually, she eventually kind of help um, or team up with with uh, with. Uh, Danny. She, yeah, she eventually team, team up with with, uh, with with Finn's character, right? Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that fight. See where she was in the cage, and I was like, okay, well, she going up against a a, a a taller, tougher guy. Okay, I, I just watched it. Uh, I like well, the fight. See, was choreographed, but I was just telling myself, but. Uh, if she more skilled in tools of martial arts, she would have like be able to like you know, but um, mash him up like real faster. Like I'll just watch it. Like uh, okay, uh, so I didn't really, again, the, the just, just the choreography itself didn't feel real to me. It, it, it no, right. Choreography is really really like the whole thing. That's the main problem with this. The whole thing is is sometimes just unpolished and then other times downright sloppy. Some really terrible edits. Um, I'll say sometimes it's not only, sometimes it's unpolished. Other times it's downright sloppy. Right. So the editing and the fights really, really like everything is a cut. So like again, you see how Daredevil did the long takes so yes, their fight yes. and had solid choreography with it. And because Matt is not some super martial artist type, you understand why he's a martial artist, but they didn't really make it that way. Like they have him like a ninja. Danny now supposed to be this martial artist, but the ship just looking tired and weak dread. Like it had this fight in episode I think eight or so. That is where he had to fight a drunken master. And <laughs> okay. Yeah, at face value, thinking, all right, when you, you know, here's the problem. 
you know, as I say, um, Jack Chan spoilers now. So you want like a real badass free flowing fight with a, a drunkard master, and you did not get that. It's one janky ass fight, and everything cutting in a shitty way. And I was like, wow. And I'm guess just just a lot of mediums and close ups, right? No whites yeah, to sell just it. Just real bad, John. And, uh. and outright bad cuts. Like, so you have a part where the character move forward, and then they'll just cut her foot off our wall. And it's like, yeah, but when when she foot was on the wall. Like, at no point did it flow in there. Right. So, not feeling natural with this edit. Nothing. Um, now, I, I'm afraid to so, ask this question, right? But do you think that the, the editors, the, the, the editor for those fight scenes are done in such a way to hide the fact that these yeah. actors can't fight to save their life? Clearly. Clearly. Lord. You, you see, that's what, I don't want to hear that for sure. Call yeah. Iron Fist one. No, that's the problem. Like, like in the case man. of, okay. So, in the case of Jessica Jones and, uh, in the case of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, it makes sense why the choreography wouldn't be good because the characters can't fight. They're just powerhouses, right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Especially in the case of Luke Cage. He's just a big power. He's like, yeah, I don't want to learn to fight. I'm just going to walk through this yeah, place like a tank. Yeah, just set up and just take bullets because that's what he does. Exactly. Yeah. Just walk through the place like a big tank. That's it. You don't need a choreography. And I still thought those action sequences flowed quite well. Me this too. Me too. Because Danny's supposed to be this big martial arts person and is the shittiest fighting dread. It's like, yeah, this not. I'm not feeling this man at all, dread. Um, the My story God. itself was kind of aimless too. Yeah, um, well, that was what I was about to ask. Like, how is how was the story at least? Right. So the story is these two characters, well, the Meachums, which is basically Danny's like really close friends uh, when they was growing up. They took over the company, and you learn a bunch. Of, it have a bunch of mysteries and twists that really don't go anywhere ultimately, but it does have arcs of characters. Right. So the main villain is the main villain is Madame Gao. Yeah, uh, who I remember from. Um... From yeah, the season one and two. Mm-hmm. Good, cool. She's the main villain. Kind of the main villain in this because she's just like part of the, the clan, but you have other villains who you learn a bigger villain and later don't involve with Danny group. And they have a whole thing with respect to the, the same monastery. And they, they kind of bring that come full circle. And then right, well, of, well do, they, do they mention the hand at all from, from the other right, season? Right, it's a big part of it. Okay. But it's a, different, it's a different section of the hand because the hand have like multiple groups now. And well, why, why am I not surprised? Here's my thing. I absolutely hate the hand and how they did <laughs> in, in these um these things because well, for me it's too supernatural or what? Sorry. They were they were too they were too much based on supernatural elements. Yeah, that's one big problem. And two, they kind of boring. Like how you just make mystical ninjas boring? They kind of made them boring. So like for me in season one of Daredevil, that's the best hand stuff by far, where you have to fight this guy with the, the chain sickle thing. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Love that 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 I'm, sequence by the way. Season two was a waste of time. Season two was rubbish because the yeah, hand just was like, just... <laughs> you didn't need to be there. Like, at most, I'd have them just have Electra. Just do the little hands up and then get rid of them. To me, Daredevil and Punisher should be fighting soldiers the entire time and gangsters. Whatever. Right. And right. that's the thing. The worst part of Daredevil is the best part of uh, Iron Fist, in my opinion. Which is huh. the hand. Hand just boring, the lame, in my opinion. They're not really, I'm not really feeling them in this. Everything else works in some other part. Um, they do a lot of stuff with mental issues, but again, because Je- Jessica Jones did that so much better um, with, with um, Kilgrave. Right. That works. Um, and let me guess, it, with all these attempts at trying to address mental issues and stuff, you, you still don't well, care for the character at all, right? Do you? Right, yeah, you didn't give a shit about the character at all. It's more like, well, not really mental issues, but he, because he he's, he's being fooled into thinking he's mentally, mentally ill now. Um, okay. Yeah. And then they do an arc with some drugs and they hand up spreading drugs in the city and they're using Danny Company to do it. Oh, and it's, no. it's a, it's a, it's a aimless, you know, kind of plot point that kind of wrap up at the end. But And look, 
a lot of people are gonna defend this, but I just just thought just too much of it just felt so sloppy and too much of it felt so um just Aimless. generally unpolished. Yeah. One <laughs> one more thing before before you, you give your review uh your rating, because I know I have a feeling with, I have idea what your rating is. Are there any um comic book characters that make appearances in this um in this series, apart from you know the the obvious like the defenders and you know Rosario Dawson's character, are there any um, new characters that show up? I can't remember off the top of my head anybody brand new shows up other than the girl who's her who is the, I forget the girl's name, uh the agent girl is it? Right. Uh, shit, who's the new person that shows up, boy? I don't think anybody. They just kind of make just make references to to defenders and okay. you know just yeah, because Avenger, defenders has, is finished shooting, ah, so we're gonna get nice. a trailer soon hopefully. And ultimately, we're gonna just see like it just, it just this rushes out because they, they just do an ending with the DA. It have a whole thing. Okay, okay. Um, ultimately, this was just a real big disappointment because of how sloppy everything was. Editing was bad. Um, just no good music. Like you see how how Luke just had so much style, even though yes, the substance yes, wasn't really yes. there. Luke just but had they some added music. so much to the story. The, right, the world that they were created, yeah, yeah. Generally, just like the, the characters in Luke Cage in general, yeah, just like them, they have nice personalities, they're enjoying their, their presence. Yeah. This is just dry for me. And you know, um, well, on the subject of music, even Jessica Jones with that sort of nourish music that worked too, it's uh, to the right. set of that tune. No, and Jessica Daredevil, of course, with that uh, sort of drama, you know, that really dramatic score that they had with it. But right. I don't know, I haven't heard anything from, from Iron Fist. So, how was the music, by the way? Yeah, it has some all right, like they, they started off with um. That song so fresh, so clean from Outcast. Oh, from Outcast, yeah, yeah. They have a couple little hip hop songs that are nice in in between peppered in, but overall it's like yeah, it's just normal. And I just say overall it just it just felt really unfinished and un, un, unpolished ultimately. Uh, well, well, they, last 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 question. Do you think that they just probably picked the wrong hero to to actually? They kind of had to go with with um with with Iron Fist. I mean, it's not like the wrong hero. I think it's just they just took the wrong approach, and everything just felt half assed That's just the problem. Right. Um, I sure they could have done this really well. Um, I hope our season two for this will be better and they just improve on anything. You see how Daredevil felt polished and finished? Yes. And Daredevil just had good acting. I think that's is that these characters overall is just generally unlikable. Like, they have this one character called Ward Meacham. Um, he works, he, he grows, but when he when he starts, horrible. Danny overall never never improves for me overall this, the, over the series. Um, that, that's a, a bad character. thing right there. When your character... When your character does not have an arc or it have a semblance of an arc where it does not, you don't see it realize, it makes yeah. no sense. You don't care at the it very end. Right. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll say, just the, just everything just felt unpolished. As I say, they just like little blocking issues and like, you know, your, your character supposed to go from here to there. And it's like, what? Why would you just go there to there? And it has a bunch of weird story issues and, and just flowing like where characters should be. Everything felt amateurish. Like a character fall off a building. It have a part where you fall off a building and he's supposed to. Um, like he, like he hang on to take a flag polo like a I can't remember what it was he hang on to to save himself halfway mm. and you could tell that he just jumped from a, a part in the in the shot now so he not he didn't feel like he was falling so he fought and you see him come from diagonal right. everything shot, in terms of takes like everything just felt like you needed another take for this another take for that I don't know they like you felt they run out of money or something but they just the project was just 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 felt really really unfortunate that they couldn't pull this off anyway wow. I give it much higher I will give it much higher. Than two, 35 out of 100, I will give it 50 out of 100. Um, All right. Not as good as, not as, good as any of the others. Um, nowhere near as good as Daredevil, in my opinion. Daredevil season one is still the apex of this material. Nowhere near as good as Jessica Jones, because in terms of characterization, it kind of just, it, it, it's a jack of all trades, 
and then fails at all. Wow. So it, it has nowhere near the amount of charisma as Luke Cage. Luke Cage, you know, you could complain, complain about Luke Cage or his style over substance, but at least it had his style. It's yeah. His style. So it didn't have that. <laughs> uh, it was a big disappointment. Real big letdown. I mean, at least we, got, we jump in straight into the defenders. So let us get that and, and hopefully Danny Rand's character will, will shine a little better yeah. uh, in this. But Danny, it was really, really done. I, I didn't like it. It didn't work. Um, and I, I, I won't shit on it as much as other people did. But... Yeah, I'm not going to praise this anyway as much as other people did. It's it just so damn sloppy and unfinished, ultimately. Wow. Well, yeah. I am definitely not going to binge this show at all. I'm going to take yeah, my sweet time on it. I'm not going to spend a whole two, three months watching all 13 episodes. No, 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 no. But I'm not going to take 13 hours to watch a show that yeah, I probably could have just rewatched Luke Cage. You're ready for the feeling like every episode is playing out. It's like you're not feeling to see what the next episode will be. You see how Daredevil had you binging? Yes, yes, yes. This yes. didn't have me binging at all. I was like, I was watching two episodes. I'm like, all right, okay. I'm going, I'm going upstairs, take a sleep, come back, watch it back. Let me finish it before watching you your, when you call me. Yeah. I was like, oh. I finished like 3 o'clock. And this is like, what, it's 6 to 10 now? I was like, nah, boy. Yeah. I, I tried to finish it a long time. You know, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I imagine that even the people who put stuff up on Facebook probably even finish what you show. Because they didn't even say, well, overall, I, this was all right, or it was kind of crappy, or nah. blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I, was rolling, yeah. I was real rolling my eyes, I was real rolling my eyes in, in like some, in, t- in t- episode three, and because like the whole time I'm watching it, like, why you don't just tell him? Why does, why it being so cryptic? You right. know? It's a simple solve, like things that's supposed to solve immediately. Like the characters just kind of dumb too now. Everything was. <laughs> Ba- badly written. Clearly, they were badly written. Yeah. Everything was everything. Everything was sloppy across the board. Everything was sloppy across the board. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame. The thing is, they had three shows that that you know raised the bar already. You know, we I mean? like all they right. gotta do is just be a little innovative, try to be a little different. But I don't know. It's, it's probably like they just ran out of steam, and it, it was just like a placeholder, basically until um until defenders come around. All it does is just kind of more or less teases defenders. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the purpose of it. Characters or anything like that. Just yeah. teases defenders. And the mere fact that nobody was really hyped for it is just like, oh, Iron Fist trailer. Okay, so that was all right. But, that's true. Uh, yeah, I was not, not a hype for it. But I thought it would be good. I thought it would be like, hey, this is going to be you real know, hard. surprise people. I know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no. wow, boy. Sorry no, to no, hear no. that, boys. That's shame. And I'm actually kind of glad I didn't spend $13 watching this show. But I, I, I still want to see it for myself. So at least I could see what all this big criticism was about. Right. Yeah, whatever. All right. So we're moving from TV. I was going to say from TV to music. Um, so I'm finally going to be doing my uh, music review of okay. the Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death. Originally, I was going to do it as a written review. Because it's right. two albums and there's so much to cover. But I just figured, you know what? Because of time and just stuff in, in my way, I might as well just wing it. Just basically just kind of read through the notes that I have. I mean, I'm not going to read every, every, every single word and detail. Because, I mean, we have other stuff to cover anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So, um, Life After Death, uh, like you said, is the second and final studio album from Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. The Notorious B.I.G. It came out on March 25th. Christopher, we acknowledge Yes, yes, yes. Um, off of Bad Boys Rec- uh, sorry, Bad Boy Records. Um, this album came out roughly two weeks after his um, untimely demise um, on, on March 9th, 1997. And on the subject of that, though, about, like when I was young and naive, like, you know, I was, I, I know, like I was familiar with his music. I never listened to his albums. I just saw like his music videos and stuff because he went heavy rotation on TV. And then when I heard about his death, I was just like, well, 
oh well he died well you know that's because he's a gangster rapper so he kind of deserved that but that was just me being naive at the time now. but then right. as i got older and i listened to his music and i really understood who you know who biggie was and what significance he made he, he he made in terms of rap music i was like well wow this is just such a terrible loss and what makes it even more heartbreaking is that 20 years from now you know 20 years later we still don't know who actually pulled that trigger right who actually shot him from that car you know that night in california we don't know up to this day same thing with with uh, with, with tupac who died right you know a year before we still don't know a lot of people say well the police was involved and all that but i don't think so i think it's just some some i don't know just some fellas who just genuinely did not like this man head at all i just figured you know what here's opportunity boom that's it i don't think right. there's any police cover-up or any kind of conspiracy or some kind of thing it's not like they will you know they will they were mlk or malcolm x it's not like that and i know they will try to twist that thing with, with tupac and yes he's a he's a revolutionary he you know he's talking about free the black people all that kind of stuff i don't think yeah, so no, it's no. just yeah. people who just angry had an opportunity and boom that's it but um before I get to like the actual review, um, have you, have you, have you, have you listened to um to Life After Death or have you checked out yeah, any not, of the tracks? Not in or? a long time, but I well I didn't prepare for it for this uh this review though. Right, but um but you have listened to it or have you listened yeah, to yeah. um yeah uh oh gosh to Ready to Die sorry um Ready to right, Die yeah years ago a long time yeah 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 um but, well sorry Ready to Die still remains um in arguably my my top five favorite albums of all time. Life After Death, on the other hand, I'll get to that. Cause this one is, is a little iffy because, I mean, there's lots to like about it. But at the same time, it kind of falls under the trap that a lot of double albums suffer from, which is called filler. So there are some songs that, you know, I mean, they're, they're well delivered, they're well wrapped and whatnot, but they still feel kind of filler-ish, you know what I mean? Right. But what I kind of want to talk about here, but I'll, I'll kind of mention it along with the track-by-track track review, is just the overall significance of this album here in terms of, of in terms of just Biggie's music and you know what it managed to do consciously and unconsciously because like I said, this album came out uh, was released you know a couple of weeks after he died but this album here pretty much was prophetic in a sense because he, he was talking about death and you know just the mere fact that he died you know what I mean it's almost like he kind of called it on himself so you can't help but like every time you listen to certain tracks of this album. It's kind of like, well, Jesus, like, it's kind of weird, you know what I mean? Because it's almost like he predicted it. He predicted that it would happen. Like, I right. know deep down inside, he knew that it would not have happened just like that. But, you know, the mere fact that it did just makes it kind of kind of scary, though, when you think about it. You know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. uh, so let me just kind of run through track by track. I wouldn't stay too long on each one because, like I say, it's just it's, it's a double album. So, yeah. All right, so from the last album, Ready to Die, the final track on that, which is still, in my opinion, one of the best Biggie songs ever recorded, Suicidal Thoughts. Uh, if you remember how that track died, it was him basically, you know, calling Puff, Puffy. I'll, I'll call him Puffy in, in, in the case of this um, review here. I'm not going to call him Diddy. I'm going to call him Puffy here, or Puff for short. And he calls him and he's like, you know, um, he, he's ready to die. He wants to go to hell. He's a piece of shit, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Puffy's on the other end of the line. He's like, you know, Biggie, don't do it. Don't do it. And then, yeah, he shoots himself. He and we all assume at the end of that album he dies but actually at the beginning of life after death which is called the life after death intro we realize that you know he's on his way to the hospital and he's being treated and puffy is there just kind of assuring him then you know, like just wake up man wake up we got a lot of things to do man come on man live your life that kind of thing there. 
which more or less kind of sets up the tone of the overall album. But it's just once again when you realize that, yeah, this is. I mean, the skit is, is there, but you know, when you think about it, this is kind of mirroring what happened on that dreaded night of March 9th, you know what I mean? Yeah. So once again, it's almost like he's predicting his own death and the album just started, you know? It's it's really morbid when you think about it. it it's really, really kind of weird and morbid when you think about it. But yeah, this is how the album starts, and I thought it started off well. So we jump into track two, which is Somebody's Gotta Die. Now, I'm going to say something kind of controversial, but you know, if you're a hip-hop head, you know, is the truth already? Say what all they want about Tupac being such a great rapper and whatnot. But Biggie was the better storyteller. Yeah. Hands have, down. Yeah. He was the better storyteller. Wait, wait, is, wait is, um Tupac had what Brenda's got a baby? Right. That's like the only story <laughs> song I ever heard from him. I mean, it's a, a very depressing story, but it works. You know what I mean? But Biggie just had so much a great story to tell. Even from like warning back in the last album. Remember warning, you know? Damn, niggas want to stick me for my people. That's a great story right there, you know? And... With this one here, somebody's gonna die. Um, basically, he's just kind of talking about where it's not true, of course, but it's just with him, him and his crew basically retaliating against, um, re- retaliating pretty much against this um, this rival drug dealing crew who murdered their friend. This is like you know he wakes up, similar to how Warning starts off where he was sleeping. Is like you know who the hell is this knocking on the door? Basically, blah blah yeah. blah, and then he hears the news that his friend died. You know, got shot. And then it's just basically just kind of them planning out, okay, now we got to get these fellas. This is the mindset we're in, you know? This is how it is. And as the chorus says, somebody's got to die. If I go, you have to go. That kind of thing. And that's that kind of mentality. But what I like, though, without spoiling anything, is um, how it ends, where it's kind of, it's not really so much a twist ending, but it just really ends on this kind of tragic note where you really get to, um, you really get a sense of how bad this whole, you know, gang violence is. It's not just oh, well, I just killed this guy and that's it. There are consequences to it. And that's all I'll say about that. But right. um, I love the production. This overall, there is like this, um, the, there's this um, sound effect of like rainfall playing in the background. I thought it worked perfectly and just set in this really dark tone. And this, you know, from a lyrical standpoint, I mean, Biggie just does, he just kills it. You know, he just has such attention to detail. And, you know, in this particular track, you just... Like it, it is basically kind of seeing everything kind of play out in front of your eyes, just so well done, and um, it kind of sets up this whole cinematic tone, you know, about this entire album. Um, and on a side note, why I say cinematic is because, um, you know, particularly at the time when this album came out, you know, hip hop was becoming more and more commercial, particularly, you know, thanks to you know Puffy and you know the the shiny suit era and that kind of thing. So <laughs> everything just had to be so much more large in life. It wasn't just about you know samples and loops you know we ha- they had to be more creative they had to be more melodic and you know with this particular track right here which kind of pretty much starts off the album you get that idea of the of yeah things have changed in terms of the rap game this is how it is now so right. on the subject of cinematic now now we get to the first single of the album which is one that we know hypnotize now do you remember the video for hypnotize and how crazy yep. that was yeah yeah um, I remember yeah. this particular interview that um, I think is sorry is the final interview that that um, that that Biggie had, you know the one where they, they sample a lot out of, and he was saying that you know they were um, were inspired by the Rock, 
um, you know, Michael Bay's still his greatest movie in my opinion. That chase scene that takes place in the in the in the um, in the, in the um, uh, car park in that in that um, music video was reminiscent of that particular movie. You know, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like in retrospect, the video is so ridiculous, you know, because it's just like you know, Puffy and Biggie just basically sorry, yeah, Puffy and Biggie basically just running away from like these federal agents or whoever they are, just just running away from men and bikes and cars and stuff. It's like them just trying to be in their own little action movie that just runs for like five minutes, and you know, what I mean, it's just dumb fun. But it did pretty much kind of um. It, it, it felt exactly like how the, the, the um, this song um, particularly was. It was boisterous. It was loud. It was bouncy. It was fun. You know what I mean? I love the beat for this one. I love the, the chorus, catchy as hell, you know, which you reference from, um, uh, uh, you know, from Slick Rick. You know, that biggie, yeah. biggie, biggie, can you see? Sometimes yeah. it would just hypnotize me, that kind of thing. And, you know, once again, lyrically, this man just on point. Just all these quotes, all these bars that this man just spit, you know, just so incredibly... It just, it just holds up to this day. I really, 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 really love this song. But I just can't get over this video and just how ridiculous it was. And yes, that was on heavy rotation. That was all over the place. Just like um, this um, this single itself. Um, and now we get to track four, which is the first of a few diss songs on this album. Yes, Biggie does diss a few particular rappers on this album. So this one is called Kick in the Door, which is produced by my boy... DJ Premier, still one of my all-time favorite um, hip-hop producers ever. And with this one, he was just taking shots at just particular rappers. Um, case in point, he took shots at Nas uh, for, for calling himself the king of New York. So there's a line where he says, ain't no other kings in his rap things, his siblings, nothing but my children. So he's kind of like addressing Nas right there. And I remember that Nas on his Godson album came out and said, well, who you think kicking the door was addressing to? It was about him, you know what I mean? But it's kind of funny that he kind of call him out by, well, not by name. He doesn't call out any rapper by name. But it's still like, yeah, I, I diss you and now everybody knows. But still, after his death, you know, um, Nas was real acknowledging Biggie. Um, if you remember, uh, remember Born Again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Born Again and that duets. Yeah, duets the final chapter and how... <sighs> they weren't good albums. I will say that much. It was, they weren't good albums at all. They were real capitalizing on, the, on, on on Biggie's death and all that kind of stuff, but still, Nas did appear on both of those albums, and you know he was he was still paying tribute to the guy, even though he did kind of diss him on this particular track, right? Um, another another um, two other rappers who got dissed on it uh, were Rayquan and Ghostface Killer from Wu Tang Clan. Right. Now what what had happened um, was that off of um, Rayquan's debut album, Only Bill for for Keeping Links, which Yes, great, 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 great album. Definitely check it out. There is a call um, Shark Niggas Biters, which is just as, like this interlude. It's just Rayquan and Ghostface just talking, right? And they mention the fact that, oh, well, Biggie kind of took Nas's idea of the, you know, the, the album cover filmatic. If you remember, it's a yeah. uh, childhood photo. Uh, yeah. I pretty much recreated it for his debut album, Ready to Die. And they were like, well, you know, you can't be doing that. You can't be biting a man's style just so, you know? And they actually dissed him on song. They say, you know, um, throwing bleach in your eye, that kind of thing. So <laughs> Biggie kind of come back at him and throw that same line back at them and say, you know, why try? Throw bleach in your eye, you know what I mean? So that was right. just specifically addressing those two. 
And the final person who got um, this was a, a Brooklyn rapper by the name of Jeru the Damager. If you remember, he did a song called, um, his, his, his greatest song to date is called Come Clean. You know, um, if, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. If, if, if you hear the beat, trust me, you'll know what this is talking about. But he yeah. did a particular song on his second album called One Day, which is where he was kind of criticizing Bad Boy for more or less commercializing rap music and just the, the direction that rap music was going because, you know, um, Bad Boy Records was making everything all glossy and more expensive and large in life now. So he kind of calls out Drew on the album as well too. Sorry, he doesn't call him by name. But it's so dread that DJ Premier, who is who, who used to collaborate, you know, musically with Drew, right? He kind of dissed DJ Premier at the, at, you know, in the process now. Like the same guy who produced the beat that you are rapping on, you are calling him. You are calling him out for aligning himself with a rapper who diss your label. Like that was the kind of mentality that that Biggie was on. You know what I mean? Okay. Like. To get away with that on record is, is crazy, but he did. So yeah, but overall the song is is excellent though. I love this song. I love the the instrument. Uh, see the instrumental on this. So yeah, great track. Uh, next track is called "Fuck You Tonight," which features our boy from Chicago, R. Kelly. Yeah. You know who was just all over the place. Who was just putting out bedroom song after bedroom song back in the 90s you know and this one is primarily a bedroom song the beat is really silky smooth it's that kind of you know that bedroom-ish kind of thing it, it really suits the mood and R. Kelly does the chorus fit it's great um Biggie sounds right at both actually both both MC sound right at home with this because just them kind of just talking to a significant other and just really talking about yeah I want to take you home I want to carry you to your bed you know yada yada grown man stuff that kind of thing there um and yeah it's a great song but what makes it so funny is that this was actually another single too and of course as a radio single you had to call it loving you tonight so just just think about that for a minute right. loving you tonight kind of reminds me of like CeeLo green when he did you know forget you when we all knew what he was trying to say yeah yeah this and, is <laughs> exactly exactly uh next track is called last day it features the deluxe if okay. you remember who the Luxa, are, you know, it's yeah, um, Chic Luke. Yeah, LOX is yep. Chic Luke, Styles B, and of course, the most popular Gita of the Kiss. three, Jada Kiss. And, you know, this is just a simple, it's just a simple song where they just all this coming hard on this one particular track. Um, it's just this bar fest. That, that's all of this. Just simple and plain. It's great. Um, of course, Biggie kills it. Everybody just pretty much do a great job. Of course, Biggie comes in last and he just, he just steals the show from everybody. Now, um, we get to track seven, which is called I Love The Do, which features um, Jay-Z right. and Angela Winbush, who sings the chorus for it. I believe it's from, it's, she, it's basically like a, a remake of an of a old song, but I can't remember. I never heard the original. For the life of me, I just never heard it. Now, this pretty much is just like, I don't know, the best way to describe it is like if you... If you were like in Las Vegas and you were just driving down that road where Caesar's Palace and all those big casinos are at, like at nighttime, this would be the song yeah. that you would be listening to while you're driving down that street. It's just like, ah, it's just so vibrant. It's just so fun. It's just like, you know, you know, just being able to, to, to have a lot of money and being able to spend it off too. Is that kind of, you know, you know, that kind of thing that kind of encourages people to go to Vegas anyway. You know, it's like, I have money, so let's. Let's just splurge that kind of thing now, you know? That kind of vibe now. 
and you know it, the whole um that entire song is just like about that just them coming from nothing and being able to to get you know to buy whatever they want you know hence the title i love the dough um some people don't really like it because of how it has this really radio friendly kind of beat it but i love right. it all the same because it, uh, it matches that mood of yes we we splurge and we we having fun we live in life right now and yes i will i will forgive some of the kind of corny lines like be richie like lionel and make him dash like dean and play monopoly with <laughs> real cash you know okay. what i mean or let's live for the moment make sense doing it Let, now make dollars you know what i mean those kind of things i could let slide yeah. i mean in retrospect it's all very cheesy but it's like because it's all about just living that life that that rich man life i guess i could let all that slide so cool now track eight i believe is a i believe you're familiar with this song if whether you listen to the album or not you should have you should know about this song what's beef yeah yeah now <laughs> before i even got around to listen to this album in its entirety i remember somebody like i think it was in secondary school somebody was telling me boy they have this song but this biggie sing but real nasty but like oh my god it's like this like oh my god it's so bad like I don't mean bad as in terrible, that's bad as in so so deviant, nah. so nasty, so messed up. And that song was what's beef. And then when I listened to it, it's like, yeah, not that bad though. I mean, maybe my mind just desensitized or whatever. But I do yeah. see why some people will kinda call it out for being so so bad, so deviant. I, I still think like Dead Wrong is probably his most devious song, but I could be wrong. But anyway, yeah, for me, yeah. Yeah. But there's something about Dead Wrong. Something about just those yeah, lyrics boy was just like, oh my god, but you playing this on the radio? Jeez. Yeah, no. <laughs> but what's beef though? Can't play this on radio for obvious reasons. And primarily the song is just about Biggie just kinda talking about what beef is. And I like <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all, I mean, it's, somebody and somebody gets sodomized and dead wrong with a broom, so like Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like that kind but, of thing, Jen. Yeah, and, and then yeah, well what but what's beef is more much more much more intelligent. Right? It's 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 like I say, it's about them kinda of talking about what beef is. And to them, as in Puffy and, and Biggie, beef is not just oh I just gonna call you out on waxing. Yeah, 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 but this you blah blah blah. It's like I could just call a man right now and then your family gone. Just like that. And yeah. the, the, the line, but this is like the, the most jaw-dropping moment in this whole song, is where he says, um, he mentions, right, so this paraphrasing, he mentions his nigga gutter who known to kidnap kids, fuck them in the ass and throw them over a bridge. Yeah. Yeah, so that line was like, I, I actually admit, the first time I did it, I was like, yeah. oh, really? That's the direction you go with this? Wait, nah. Like, there's some real dark shit now when you think about it, nah. Yeah. But now I listen to it now it's like huh, it's kinda dark darkly funny, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't I don't cringe when I hear it. But basically it kinda sets up the whole tone of this song, which like I say, just basically like I don't have to come out in person and, you know, hit you or do anything bad to you. I know people who know people, Trent. So you just you just lay low or else like you could lose your life or somebody close to you could lose your life. And the way how he, he raps in this is really calm, it's really cool you know it's not like he just barking out orders and saying yeah i'll get you that kind of thing no he just kind of calm is it's like all i need to make is one full phone call all your disappear by tomorrow all your guns is borrowed that kind of thing you just see it's so calm like it's nothing to him basically that's how it is and 
I didn't mention this at the beginning, but um, it really sets up the direction that this album, Life After Death, is, which is basically, like, in Ready to Die, it was from the perspective of a hustler, right? He was angry, he was more, he was pissed off at life and everything. I was just like, you know, I just had to make money. If not, then I might as well just be dead. Now, in this one, he's more mature, he's more wise now. So he's seen the game from all different perspectives. So somebody dissing him or, or threatening to kill him or whatever, it doesn't do anything to him. So that's why he could be calm and collected and cool about it, you know what I mean? And the song really perfectly captures that. I love the beat for this. It sounds like something out of like some kind of mafia movie. There's a way how they use these violins. It's really cinematic. And of course, you have Puffy in the background talking about, Do you know what beef is? Do you know what beef is? Now ask yourself, do you really want beef? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. All these ad-libs in the background. But it works because eh? it's real cocky. But yeah, what's beef is great. It's not as shocking as you might think, but I know the first time you hear that line, you'll be like, um, really biggie? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so the next track is called the B.I.G. Interlude, and it's just exactly that. It's an interlude. He takes this, this classic Golden Age rap song from a rapper that a lot of young heads wouldn't know. His name is Cooley D. He had a song called PSK, What Is All, What Does It Mean? And just like they took the beat and he's just kind of doing over the first verse. He's kind of saying, B is for this, I is for this, G is for this. It's short, sweet, city point. Great. Next track is the track that everybody, even your grandmother, knows about. More money, more problems. Yeah. The track to end all tracks. And I always remember the video for this. Once, yeah, yeah, this, this video, unfortunately, came out right after Biggie's death. Um, yeah. He wasn't even in the video. Actually, I like he was in the video, but it was just like a, a video interview with him where he's talking about right. the more money you make, the more problems you get. And jealousy and envy just come with the territory, man. You know what I mean? And it was just that. It was just right before his verse. So you see like a little, like you see him in the TV, like, you know, this um, splice into this TV screen. But of course, it's a performance from back in the days. And I love his verse in this, you know, that B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A. No info yeah. for the DA, Federal Agents, American Fragrant, tap myself and my phone in the basement. Like, just those lines just st- stand out so much to me. I find both Mace and, 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 and Puffy were great on this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Say what you want, but, but, but Puffy being a terrible rapper, but I actually love his verse here. I love that he was a little prophetic to where he said, 10 years from now, we'll still be on top. Yo, I thought I told you that we don't stop. I love yeah. that line, you know what I mean? Of course, Mace could do no wrong. This was right after... Um, I think this was actually before... No, this was actually... Like, the album came out before he brought out his Halloween album, which right. actually is a very, very, very good album. Don't, don't get tired with Mace and, oh, well, he joined church and all that thing. The man was, was dread back in the days, so. Yeah. And just that beat was just so bouncy and it was just so fun. It's, it's a club anthem. It's, it's a legitimate club album. Like, you play that in a club right now, people will go crazy. What makes it so funny when you think about it to this day is um, the song that it, it, it samples from. Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out. Yeah. Which is like the last song, you know, they would want to associate with a rap song at the time. But, you know, it works because the beat sounds so dreadful. But, you know, like when you think about it, just that particular song is like, um, is there some kind of hidden meaning now to more money, more problems? I don't know. But whatever. Still a great track. Um. Alright, well well any 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 thoughts about more money more problems? Like do you like that particular track or you just yeah, do you think it holds up? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean I remember all I, what I remember that song is Puffy on the motorcycle. No. As you can do, right? 
No, no, actually, that's that's um, I'll be missing you. All oh, right, was sorry, from what? the Puff Daddy family album that came right. out right after his death. Which honestly, I so which, don't which find one it... is the one with the so which one is the one with Mason thing, right? That, that, that is the one that starts off with the golf game, okay? Right, yeah, that's the one with the golf game, and then okay, I'll mix yeah. up, I'll mix up my own MTV memories because <laughs> uh, which one you wanted Mason Puffy needed the, the, the air vent. Yes, yeah. that's more money, more problems. That that's okay, the shiny right. that's suit that's mirror that I was okay. talking about. You see how everything was so big budget and thing, and you even saw it with like Wu Tang Clan. Remember, um, uh, Triumph. Oh yeah, hard. Still one of the best songs he ever do. I love the fact that there's no hook, no chorus. It is just spit next after spit next after spit. But that music video was so big budget. That was like probably the most expensive video I ever saw from them, like ever. Like compare to what they were doing back in you know from the first album with the vhs-esque looking kind of videos and then look at like with with triumph for example with all those special effects i you know i i i don't want to say puffy was the one who who started it but i mean look at the video for more money more problems expensive right that air vent those shiny suits that both of them was wearing all that kind of right. thing but it still holds up to this day i i really really love that song um yeah. next track is called niggas bleed and this um, in my opinion is the best story on this entire album hands down this basically it's biggie having to go by this particular drug dealer and acquire money or coke so it's basically like the boss man telling me well you have to get the coke or the cream or else your life will be a mess so think about that particular scene from Scarface where, you know, they call him on the phone. It's like, well, this fella had two keys, so you had to go and get the keys to get the money, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And if you fail, then you're dead. I remember when he rolled up in that in that apartment with his friend, and then they had this, the, the fellow who was chopping up bodies in the, in the bathroom, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty yeah. much like their version of it. But what I love about this song is that it's just so incredibly rich with detail. Like, just how the plan is laid out. How they're going to go into this spot. What they're going to happen. What takes place. And then, of course, in the third verse, there's a shootout that takes place. And everything is just so rich with detail. The characters involved. His motivation about, well, yeah, I have kids to feed, so I had to do this. I don't want I don't want my, my children to grow up without a dad, so I had to do this kind of thing. And I love the, the beat in it. It's simple, but it just adds in building this intensity. And then, like I say, in the third verse, it's just a shootout. And then you're just seeing everything in your head as while he's talking. And it kind of ends on this kind of um, humorous note compared to how um, Somebody's Gotta Die ended. This one ends on a kind of humorous note. But this, to me, is the best story on this entire album. If you want to know how to tell a story through rap, listen to this, to this track here. And to close off, this one is called I Got a Story to Tell, which is more of a simple story. Um, very, very humorous, actually. It's basically with him. It's basically like this one night stand he had with his guild. He met at a club and then he realizes that this guild's boyfriend actually is a basketballer and he comes in and, you know, he can't. He, well, Biggie has to kind of set up a way to get out of the situation. I wouldn't say how he does it, but it's very funny. And what I like is that at the very end, you're hearing like this this kind of skit at the end where the beat is playing and he's more or less retelling the story to his friends and it really feels i like how natural it feels very conversational it's just you know just them talking back like yo that remember that girl i met in the club blah 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 blah. it really feels so real now i really like it it really ends up the album on a on a you know 
on a light-hearted note though well sorry that the album sorry that right that particular disc so jumping in into disc two we have notorious tugs which featured everyone's favorite rap group at the time bone tugs and harmony remember them yeah of course i love them <laughs> yeah their albums still hold up to this day. Well, sorry, yeah. the EP and debut album still holds up to this day. Um, Crossroads, still my favorite song from them ever. I think it's everyone's favorite song from Bone Tugs and Harmony. Um, but one thing that always used to, that always used to amuse me about them, just segueing from it, is how they were able to come up with these flows, with these melodies. Because yeah. not just rapping, it's just they would say something like that now like almost like they were scattered in a sense but it's just how they were able to come up with those melodies now i don't know if it was just like on the spot or if they just like where they were writing rhymes like okay i'll go i'll hit a high note here or go down low here i don't know how they did but it really made them stand out a lot though they were so unique you know and just that rapid fire flow that all the members had um, well, I know Twister was was doing that same thing. Yeah, Twister was 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 out. He, he was around around. He was we. He was around right. before Bone Tugs got popular. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just think, Bone like, Tugs that really right brought now, it to the mainstream. Now. Okay, yeah, but for me right now, because uh, my favorite uh, rap song right now I've listened to a lot is DJ Clay Say Sixty Second Assassins with 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 um, El Banana, Lazy Bone. Right. Oh, yeah, Lazy so Bone. Yeah, he is. He is excellent. He's an excellent rapper. Lazy Bone. And of course, I was already remember Busy Bone from the classic BT Uncut track, Aha. Uh -huh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and and the subject of Bone Talks again, Crazy Bone. Yes. Yeah, one of my favorite. He, he he's probably like my favorite um MC on this group, because he could yeah, do yeah, the, yeah. he could do the he could do the rapid fire. He could sing, but he has this kind of low register, and it really works yeah. in that kind of way. I love that. Because I, I I remember from Bia Bia, and then of course um recent um or the, the oh, last track. He, he was not Bia Bia. He was in um oh gosh, I don't give a fuck. I don't right. Okay. But uh, back off of me. Yeah, give yeah, me some change. Give me some money. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Of course, Raiden. He was Raiden great on that verse. And as we keep in that two thousand trajectory, great here. Um. Duets, the final chapter, which came out, uh, I believe it's 2005 or six, right. right? This was where, just like in Born Again, they got some new instrumentals, they got some artists to collaborate, and it just kind of reworked some of Biggie's lyrics. So in this case with Notorious Tugs, they took his first verse, that, um, how does it go again? That's where, well, they use it for the chorus for this particular song that was on Duets, which is, spit your game, talk your shit, grab your gear, call your click. Yeah. That one. So it came from Notorious Tugs, right? And on that Spitcher game, that's the name of the track actually, produced by Sports Beats of all people, they took that whole verse, that whole first verse that he sung. Well, sorry, well, actually, the first half of it, because they didn't use the entirety of it. And then they just had that Spitcher game thing in the chorus. But Twister's also in it. And Crazy Bone, who I thought killed it on that particular track. Just the, the rapid fire flow on that is just so crazy, way. I love that. Um... One thing that used to bug me about Spitcher Game, I'll get back to Notorious Tugs, though, is that they credit Bone Tugs and Harmony on it for one thing, but you only hear in Crazy Bone. So it's not like the other members were on the chorus singing, Notorious. I don't think so at all. I just think they right. just put the name there because, you know, you gotta remember it's Bone Tugs and Crazy Bone is part of Bone Tugs, whatever. And also, there were the two Southern rappers, Eight Ball and MGG, I believe their name is. Yeah, big fan of yeah, them. I yeah. Used to, yeah, I love their music. Um, 
Yo, did Chaka remember his pimp hard? Yes, pimp hard. Yeah. Pimp hard. <laughs> Rhapsody, oh lord, I love, I miss that show. Yes, yes, yes. But um, yeah, they were on, they were on a particular version of it, right? But I don't know if it's on their album or whatever. But like on the duets album, they are nowhere to be found. It's just Biggie, then Crazy Bone. Sorry, Biggie, then Twister, then Crazy Bone, and then it ends. So here's Eight Ball and MGG. I don't know, but anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, the Taurus Tugs, excellent track. I love the beat in it. It's really Biggie, you know, collaborating with new artists, new rappers, and him trying to mimic that, you know, that, that double time flow. And he does it well enough, not perfect, but he does it well enough, but he doesn't try to, you know, overdo it. But of course, Bone Tugs, they just do it so naturally, you know, just spitting lines, spitting words so fast. It's what they do. But once again, it's just how they come up with these melodies. It's just something incredible. But yeah. Notorious Thugs, great way to start off the album. And then we get to track two, which is Miss You, which features finally 112. Remember that group? Yeah. One of the more better RB groups of the yeah, 90s. Yeah, better the yeah. RB, the black, black boy band. Yeah, so so right after um, uh, Boys to Men kind of kind of lost popularity i saw you know 112 came in came out some great tracks i love only you especially the remix that they did with mace and um and and, and um and notorious big great track um i remember their comeback being remember peaches and cream yeah that's a badass yeah, that, was, that was badass that was all Excellent. over the place that that to me was a comeback that was that was a comeback track you know what i mean but yeah 112 is great in this one they do the chorus of the song which I believe is a Tenny Pendergrass song that, ooh, missing you, that kind of thing now. And Biggie on this track particularly is just talking about three of his friends who passed away, sorry, who yeah. died due to, you know, to, to gun violence. And, you know, he's just expressing his sadness over, you know, it's, it's basically that they should not have died, but they died. And, you know, it's like, you know, why, why, you know, he's still missing them. It's a very heartfelt track and the beat is pleasant enough. It just rolls over well enough. And now we get to track three, which is another, which um, finally features Lil' Kim. And right. on this track, it's just basically kind of like them back and forth. So it starts off with them kind of discussing each other out now. Like, F you, man, F you, you a nasty motherfucker, that kind of thing now. And um, Biggie is just being real cocky and is like, well, I could get whatever girl I want. I could just, you know, sleep with a girl and just dump she the next day, that kind of thing. And... Lil' Kim now is coming from the, 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 the woman's perspective where she's talking about, well, you know, you, you, but, you know, like, you used to be in love with me, you used to tell me that when we were, when we were sleeping, you know, like, you, you in love with me, blah, 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 and now you acting like if you don't need me, and I could just move on with my life, I don't even need you, that kind of thing, that, that sort of back and forth kind of, um, you know, that argument basically plays out on this, um, on this song, um, the, the, it has this particular kind of 80s electro electro funk kind of beat playing in the background, which is kind of catchy. I would say it's not annoying, um, and the chorus is kind of cheesy. That what would you do if your girl is untrue? You cut the sucker off and find someone new. You know what I mean? It's it sounds like bad karaoke basically, but it kind of right. works because you need a hook now. But what I would say, like this is not my favorite song of this album by far but this would be one of this would be a particular moment where the listener would think yeah this is clearly a filler track it's just there to fill space because you know each album has 12 tracks so you need 
uh, you know you need you, you can't have 11 tracks on on one disc you need one more so here here's a here's a here's another so here you go so to me this is a filler track but whatever um then we get to going back to cali which is biggie's tribute to california you know right. um and if you had to think about it from like the context of what biggie and puffy were trying to do which is basically that they were associated as being against the west coast because of what happened with you know tupac and that feud that you know the media just blew out of proportion with that east coast west coast feuding and um basically they were just trying to say hey guys we don't hate the west coast we love la we love california we love dre we love everybody yeah and going back to cali is particular is, is just that in a nutshell it's just i love california i love to go there for the woman uh, the weather woman and the weed that kind of thing um the beat itself i really love it has that kind of um g-funk kind of vibe you know yeah. it does feel very west coast even though it's an east coast artist performing here and um i'm not sure if this is true but i saw it I, be, I believe they said it in the this vh1 documentary i think it's behind the music that they um they had for him and they recreated that particular moment in notorious the movie which i honestly enjoy i that is one one of the more better hip-hop biopics in my opinion um excluding the fact that they had to get anthony mackie to play tupac i mean really for all the people in the world they had to get anthony mackie dread i mean right i mean i know he was great in in, in, my album gosh get somebody else but anyway so i believe this was a particular song that he was listening to in la the night he got shot okay so like he left the he left he was at a club actually this um i think it's like a not an album release but like a, a a party promoting the album he left the club he played going back to cali and that's when he stopped at that red light and then the car pulled up to him and then shots rang out and he got killed so think about that for a second like yeah him being in california at that time playing that particular song which was meant for one thing and then got killed it's crazy like that now but you know but still a right. great track overall um next track is 10 crack commandments this is hands down one yes. of my favorite Fast. dj premiere beats i love 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 this beat and what i really love about it is how he scratches if there's one thing about dj Premier, i love his scratching that he does he takes um chuck these first from um shut him down that one two three four five six seven eight nine and yeah. he scratches it in such a way like oh geez i'm loving this and this track is just simple it's just him talking about yeah this is the, these are the rules for drug dealing this is what you do and what you don't do never get high off your own supply don't sell from your house keep your family separated from this business all that kind of thing and when you think about it in retrospect even though i don't sell drugs it it makes perfect sense like these are things you should be doing and these are things you should not be doing you know what i mean but he just rips this this song to shreds i just love the beatiness i love the, the lyrics in it and i really love the kind of self-awareness and because after he says the 10 crack commandments he says follow these rules you'll have mad bread to week sorry follow these rules you'll have mad bread to break up if not 24 years on the wake up slug hit your temple watch your frame shake up so yeah. yeah he's not so you know to all the conservatives out there he's not telling people hey it's it's fun to sell drugs man you'll make money no what he's saying that if you in this there are rules to to, to abide by but still you gotta know this is a dangerous game and you know you could you could be doing this and pretty much living day to day but at the end of the day 
if you're not careful, somebody could just come and just end your, you know, take your lights out now, basically. I love how he was like self aware to see that at the very end. So, kids, don't do drugs and don't sell drugs. That's the point, right? <laughs> anyway. mm-hmm. Next track is another filler track, but I actually will let this one slide. Okay, just so ridiculous. It's called Player Heater. Features, uh, features Diddy again. And I this is just it. them. Okay, so this is re- this is way before Snoop Dogg did the sexual eruption. Oops, I meant sensual seduction track. You know, where right. he was just singing through the entirety of the album. Apart from that little rap thing that he does in the third verse, however. Um, so it's just Biggie and Puffy singing throughout this. And I think this is like a version of like, it, it sounds like some kind of soul song from the 70s. It sounds like something from the Temptations or whatever. And it's just them really, really talking about, yeah, it have two kind of type of people in the world. You have your players, you have your player haters. Just be careful for the player haters. The player haters get in trouble, they get robbed. That's how the chorus goes. It's like, lay right. down on the floor, you got, you, you've been robbed. That kind of thing. But, you could tell that both of them just, well, they were just, they were just bullshitting. They were just having fun. They didn't care. They were just singing off key. Um, Puffy is the one who kills it though because he just so blatantly singing off key. You could tell the man can't sing her. And then in the very end, he had the note, he had the goal to just be singing the, 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 the title of the song. Like he just belting it out now. So him going, play hate just singing it loud, 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 and it just sounds so incredibly funny. Right. But this is still a filler track. It's one that you wouldn't really miss out if you if you skip it. But I just think it's just so incredibly funny that I just listen to it every time it's it, 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 it comes on. Uh next track is called Nasty Boy. But if you're familiar with this um god awful song of a duet called Nasty Gill. Okay. Yeah, this was this was like the major single from Duets actually. It it had Jagged Edge and Nelly and uh who else was in it? I can't remember, but it's a terrible, terrible, terrible song. They get Jazzy Fee. Remember him? Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And he made this kind of terrible beat and this took the first verse from, from this song here and that was it. Everybody else just kinda phoned it. I hate that track. But Nasty Boy is 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 exactly what the title says, it's just Biggie just talking about, you know, being this bedroom bully, basically. Just, you know, his sexual prowess and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's every bit what you expect it to be. The beat is catchy and dumb and fun, but it works. Once again, I kind of fill a track. But one thing this, 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 um, what I always remember from this particular song is that it references a movie that I imagine a lot of people don't even remember. It's called The Fan. It's a thriller from 1996, which featured Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes. Okay. I haven't seen it. I just remember faintly a trailer for it. But I don't think that show holds up at all because I think it get like one star from critics and thing. But just the mere fact that this song kinda encapsules that 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 movie now. So people won't mightn't catch the reference, but it's kinda that movie's kinda immortalized now thanks to this um this song here, this filler track. Um and now we get to track eight, which in my opinion is the best, best best song on this entire album sky's the limit featuring 112 best song on this entire album i love it i love it i love it i love the beat i love the intro i love the chorus i love everything about it this is probably one of my all-time favorite biggie songs i love the beat it is just something that you could just write to it's just so smooth it's just so laid back so mellow and really what i love about it is just 
kind of like Biggie approaching life from like a mature perspective. Like he's been in the game and now, sorry, in the drug game and then he's in the rap game. So he's kind of looking at life from a more mature perspective and he's more talking about, well, you know, I was pursuing dreams, but now I want to provide for my family now. So it's not just about me anymore, that kind of thing. I what particularly loved though was the music video fit, which was directed by Spike Jones. This was like okay. before being John Malkovich came out two years later. But what I love about this video, I don't know if you ever saw it, this was where all the performers, all the, the, the rap there's just it's just rappers and just rap figures in this entire video, but all of them are played by kids. Right. So yeah, this young kid, I don't know if this was if this was Biggie's actual son, I could be wrong. But, you know, you had this boy playing Biggie and then you had Puffy and Buster Rhymes, Craig Mack, you even had Lil' Kim in, yeah, it's kind of creepy. They had this little girl dressed up like Lil' Kim, you know, because she had right. all the scandalous outfits at the time. But I just love the, the just how, just the visual and how it kind of portrays this message that the chorus kind of says, which is simple and plain, sky's the limit, you know, just keep pressing on. You could have what you want, be what you want. And just the way how they captured that just so simply with using those kids in that video was excellent. I love that video. I love this song. And like I say, one of my favorite Biggie songs of all time. Um, next track is called The World is Filled, which features Carl Thomas, who yeah. uh, you had the, 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 um, the pleasure of seeing perform, I remember, right, last yeah, year yeah, at, that, at on, a concert. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he came to the top of Sandal Hill, so I went to that. Yeah. Um, Puffy, who actually does a, a verse on this, and too short. Oakland's own too short. Yeah. Veteran rapper, yes, too short. Yes, Everybody class. loves too short. Yeah. Love too short. I love <laughs> um, too short. Carl Thomas does the chorus in this. And what I like about this is that it's just pretty much this kind of I look at the tin line between pimps and employees of pimps. So it has this kind of black exploitation kind of soul vibe going on with the beat. And it's just like these real sleazy lyrics about who oh, I could be this biggest pimp and all that kind of stuff there, you know. Um, Puffy starts off with a verse and, you know, once again, I'm not saying Puffy's the best rapper in the world, but I thought that his verse on this one was actually good. It, it said the, the, the mood of it, you know, basically just kind of them talking about, you know, how, how this, the, you know, how they, how they, how the skills are basically with the women and all that kind of stuff. You know, Biggie does the same thing and Too Short just basically talk about, about how, how you could love these hoes, man? You're not supposed to love these hoes, man. All that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of short stuff that Too Short used to be rapping about back in the days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of funny because this lie where he says, I'm 20 years old, man. You hoe with that same person from when I was like 11 years old, man. Man, you're not supposed to fall in love with her, man. You know what I mean? And of course, he does that bitch thing at the very end. He does that. Yeah. Um, and we're almost done. So now we get to the dark, dark, dark portion of this album. First off, we start off with My Downfall, which, feature, which features, sorry, Puff Daddy and DMC of, you know, Run DMC, you know? Right. Daryl McDaniels? Yes. Yeah. And now, the thing about this, well, the way how it starts off is that um, Biggie gets this, this phone call. Is this guy on the phone, on the other line saying, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. Kill you, motherfucker. Now, I saw this play out in the movie itself, Notorious. And I was wondering if that moment was actually true. Because what happened in the movie is that he was he was in California and he was getting death threats on the phone. But this particular track starts off like that. He, him getting a death right. threat. And then um, Puffy comes out. He's just shouting. He's like, jealous. He's a motherfucker. He's a weak motherfucker. He's just shouting and calling out the haters. And like, oh my God. You know what I mean? Like, 
you always had to have negativity. You always had to have people that jealous of you, hate you. And he's just like doing all these sh- these adlibs. He's just shouting the adlibs, basically. Yeah, so on my downfall, basically, it's just them kind of addressing the haters. And what I really like about this, um, well, before I get to what I really love about this, um, 2010 rap fans will remember that they used part, basically, of his first verse on this particular track of the song Angels, which, admittedly, I actually like. I love the beat for that. Um, I thought that Puffy's auto-crooning <laughs> on that particular track was bearable. But this one is just basically them just kind of talking about the haters and talking about how they just lived it much more better than them and, you know, once again, the more money, more problems angle, you know, the more money they have, the more problems they have, the more enemies they, 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 they attract and that kind of thing. And with this one here, you know, while Biggie is being kind of braggadocious, on the flip side of it, you could tell that he's being kind of paranoid as well too because he's talking about sleeping with a gun underneath his pillow and all that kind of thing. So he kind of fears for his life because he knows what the haters are capable of. And Puffy is there just doing these these alleys where he's just shouting loud in, in front of the mic. And to some, like, to the, you know, to, if, if you listen for the first time, it might come off as annoying, but I felt that it really added this kind of sort of dark tone. It's really kind of, what's he, about, what's he what I would say? It's, it's, there's sort of manic vibe about it. Like, you just want to kind of lash out at these people, but you, you don't even see them. You don't even know who they are, you know what I mean? So it's just like you just shout into the heavens, but, you know, it's who exactly you're addressing to, basically. But yeah, this is one of the dark moments on this particular track, um, a particular album. I love the beat for this, and I love that sort of kind of paranoid vibe that goes into this. And now we get to the dark dark moment or should i say the dark climax of the album it's called long kiss goodnight not to be confused with the movie the long kiss goodnight of the same name which featured gina davis who was playing um charlie baltimore remember those names gina davis charlie baltimore yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) right and samuel jackson was in it as well i remember seeing it years but i can't remember anything about it but anyway this is probably... Wait, 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 wait. That is what um, the, the girl who is a beautiful Jarul named herself after, right? Yes. What happened is... Um, right. When... All right. Well, Biggie was involved in a car accident, right? This was like about a few days after Park died, right? So he was like bedridden for, for, for like a few... For days and stuff. So Charlie was taking care of him, and They used to yeah, watch the, the Kiss Goodnight. And it was like, oh, well, okay. You like the show? Okay, I'm going to call you Charlie Baltimore. That's where that... That's, That's where she get her name from, basically. Yeah, because I remember Dong Ashtrick with uh, Jaru, badass. Yeah. Did you say yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like, that like a Yeah, it was, you know, that sort of pop rap kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, with this one here, this is probably his most controversial um, song. Controversial in the sense that... And this is the weird thing about this particular song, right? So, it's kind of plain and obvious that they're addressing Tupac here, right? He does... They're not calling him out by name, but they, you could tell that they just waging war. They're just taking real shots at, at this guy, right? But what makes this song so odd now is that Pac died back in 96. So I don't know if this particular song here was recorded before he died. But this one, like, in it, it just oozes with so much venom. Jet. It's like, they just particularly going out of their way to just destroy Pac and, you know, Shug Knight and Death Row Records as a whole. Right. But then, like I say, I, I don't know if this song was recorded before Pac died. But if, you know, and, you know, Biggie did acknowledge the fact that, you know, Pac died and it was unfortunate. 
but you still brought out the album but it's still with this song that anybody can listen to right now and be like yeah he, he, he clearly doesn't um pack in this one he doesn't call him out by name but i remember there's a, a line at the very end one of um puffy's albums which he shouts of course on and he's saying we're not just uh, we're not uh, we're not addressing any other rappers we're talking about you Dredd. you know so it's like, yeah, like clearly this man just talking about Pac, like just beat, bleat Lena. But I don't know, like I, I just kind of wonder, like why would put out the song even though Pac is dead now? You know, it's kind of, I don't know, kind of bad. Yeah, tasteless. Yeah, kind of tasteless now. But I don't know, some conspiracy theorists could, could tell me, okay, well, maybe this song was really did come out before Pac died and, you know, or maybe he was addressing somebody yeah. else. But no, when you listen to this, it's clearly aimed at Pac. There's no denying it. Um, but the song is great, though. Lyrically, it is so sharp. It is so fierce. It's just both Puffy and Biggie just, like, going at it. It's, like, the angriest I ever hear Biggie on this album so far. And, of course, Pac in the, Sorry, not Pac. Um, Puffy in the background. Just shouting all these ad-libs. It's like, yeah, what? That kind of thing. Now. But, my God, this was a really dark way to kind of bring things to a close, though. And speaking of dark ways to end things off, now we have the final track. You're nobody till somebody kills you. Which features Feet Evans, which was uh, who was um, you know, still Puff um sorry, Biggie's wife at the time, and Puff Daddy, who just did some ad libs at the very beginning and in the chorus. And um what I really like about this is that it it, it serves two purposes. First off, it it's really like his it's really Biggie's like final reflection on death on this album and also it's kind of like a, a foreshadowing of his real life death um, now what was so weird about it like the first few times when I heard this particular song is that on the first two verses he's just kind of talking about the life he's living he's, he's, he's living this this lavish life you know he's he has the women he has money and all that kind of stuff but every once in a while before he gets to the chorus he would kind of mention you're nobody till somebody kills you. I was like wondering, well, what all this stuff had to do with that? But it's in the last verse now where everything kind of makes sense, where he says, you can be the shit, flashy fat is five, have the biggest dick, but when your shell get hit, you ain't worth spit, just a memory. And that's where everything just comes full circle. Could be basically what he's saying is that you could have like the best life ever. You could have so much money, so much riches, wherever, but you could still be a victim to gun violence. And it's not like it could be from the innocent, it could be to the people who we think deserve it, quote-unquote. And you see that today, like, you know, if it, just just pull up a news report right now, and you know, it's somebody who got killed. You know what I mean? Yeah. That That is how fleeting life is, basically, and that's what he's really yeah. addressing. So, yeah, he could talk about how much riches he have, but at the end of the day, when he goes, he goes. And, you know, the ironic thing and the morbid thing about this particular song is that, you know, it happened. So you can't help but think about, well, yeah, he kind of just predicting her particular song. And it makes perfect sense too because, you know, it's really this this unfortunate fact, but it's true. You know, we could all get killed. And I'm not saying, you know, old age or heart attack or whatever, but gun violence, you know, it could happen to any one of us. That's a scary fact, you know what I mean? And overall, this kind of just ends the album right... F- it, it, it ends it off on a great note, but still on a very, very morbid note because you can't help but think, yeah, this man is kind of predicting this man predicting his own death right here in this particular song you know um so yeah those are both tracks sorry both this of life after death and i would say just in retrospect this album still holds up to this day it is 
probably one of the best um, double albums, hip-hop double albums. Um, a second place would be, ironically, Tupac's um, All Eyes on Me, which came out right. um, same, well, it came out in 96, about a few months before he um, he got killed too. And I could tell that, you know, Biggie was like kind of watching him like, oh, you doing a double album? All right, I will do a double album too, that kind of thing. And, you know, because it's a double album, just like All Eyes on Me, there are tracks on it which you could kind of see are filler tracks. You know, they just dare just right. to fill up space and, you know, it wouldn't hurt if you skip a few of them. But right. it's because of Biggie's delivery, because he has so much presence on the mic, he can make those filler tracks entertaining, even though uh, a few of them don't need to be there like another or play a hater. But because he has that kind of charm and charisma and that voice and just that lyrical skill, you know, you could just listen to this entire album and not feel bored. And, you know, a lot of critics thought about, you know, yeah, um, said the same thing. Um, of course, this was a huge success. Um, this album was a, a huge success on the Billboard. Um, I think it went diamond, if I'm not mistaken. I think it did. But, of course, this is really because of um, because of Biggie's death, you know. that Biggie's death is what really heightened this album, you know. And it can't help but when you listen to this album, just be seeing all these glimpses of, yeah, this man probably knew he was going to get killed, you know, that kind of thing. Now. Um, I, I think it's infinitely better than, you know, Born Again, even though Dead Wrong is still a, a dread track. Um, yeah. It still holds up way more than Born Again and Duets, which was just, well, many, many people argue it was just really um, Puffy trying to capitalize on, on Biggie's death again by just taking all these random verses and mixing it with all these beats and getting all these artists to perform and make it sound contemporary. Almost like if, well, if Biggie was alive in 1999, this is how he would sound like. Or if he was alive in 2005, this is how he would sound like. That kind of thing. But overall, yeah, this this album does hold up. I mean, Ready to Die is still the best thing he's ever done. But this comes at you know at, at a close second for me, in, in my opinion. It's long, of course, because it's two discs, and you know they they, they could there could have been a couple of um, tracks that could have been weeded out. But still, everything that's here, you know, works for the most part. Right. I have to give this a solid four and a half out of five stars. Definitely okay. listen to this album. Um, so the album you the the album you're referring to with um. I'll be missing you. Is Puff Daddy? I think it's Puff Daddy and the Family. I think that's right. the name of the album. It had victory. It had all about the Benjamins. I also remember. Um, yeah, I remember uh, this song by Puffy, uh, Victory. Yes, yes. Well, that's what I mentioned. Victory. Yes. Yeah. Um, that video, dude. That was so yeah, no? big budget. That was so yeah. over the top. I think it's the most expensive video up to this day. I think it's six million dollars or something like that. All right, I I could have sworn. All right, well, I I could have sworn the most expensive video for the nineties was um Buster Rhymes' video for um, What's It Gonna Be with John Jackson. Yeah, those uh, visual effects. I assume cost yeah, a lot I'm of money, though. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think for I understand, this was about six million dollars. I don't know if that was higher. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I know. but and then the video's like the video's long too. Right? Yeah, 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 and it's just this kind of cheese sequence him running through this kind of yeah, I assume it's a post-apocalyptic future, yeah. a kind of um, bleed runner kind of thing. But right. of course, the song that everyone remembers from that, and I'll close things off here, is "I'll Be Missing You." This song was all over the place. Oh my god, the video was all over the place. The song was all over the place, and I would say in retrospect, it's genuinely heartfelt. You can kind of tell that, you know, it's it's all about Biggie and, you know, that's this his song because it's all about Biggie and Biggie and Biggie, right? Um, Puffy sounds genuine as well, too. You know, he's not 
trying hard to rap he's just being himself the chorus still holds up even though it bleatedly rips off um stings i'll be watching you and yeah. i'll never forget i think it's the fdb mo- uh vmas yeah, that performance with them and sting just there feeling kind of out of place like uh, and then yeah. when he's like oh can you see you yeah. belong to me i was like um what do you think was popular like, hey, kids, this is where we got the song from. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And of course, 112, every step you take, every move you make, that kind of thing. Yeah. And who could forget <laughs> the intro and the closing to this video? Of course, Puffy and the bike. And then suddenly yeah. he just dropped. <laughs> like, I know. Like, when I saw the first time, I was laughing. But then when I watched it again, again I was like, okay, I, I, I kind of feel what's going on here. He, he take it up a biggie. He falls, you know. It, it, it happens, I assume. And then, of course, Diddy in the rain, dancing and spinning and doing his because we can't stop kind of dance, you know. It, it, right. was nice. it, was, it was nice. It was nice. It was nice. But I don't know. But I imagine, you know, by the time, well, I don't know if people were playing it March 9th of this year, but I imagine when people catch wind that, hey, life after death is, getting, is, is, is turning 20 today or whatever, I think people will be going up on YouTube and rewatching that video and, you know, rest in peace to begin and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, any last words on, you know, Biggie and his music and just stuff about Biggie? Anything, any last yeah, no, words? He's a, he's a, I mean, for me, he's truly a talented rapper. He has so many tracks I could think of. Just, I just love from this album in particular. Ten Cracker Moments probably stands out for me. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my personal favorites. Uh, overall, he's, he's a person that, you know, really, you know, died too soon. You know, yeah, he's 25, though. Yeah, that round sergeant. It's really unfortunate how things play out. And yeah, as I say, he was a better storyteller. Yeah. Uh, and and still, so what's really unfortunate, like I said at the beginning, is that you know his 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 murder has yet to be solved. You could put out as much documentaries as you want to about well, you know, it was connected to Tupac's death and all that kind of thing. But still, who did it? Nobody knows. I still think yeah. it's just some fella who just genuinely did that, like his head as shooter. I don't think it's any cover for anything like that. It's just. It happened, you know, and it's so unfortunate though. But uh, all I would say is though, in closing though, I mean, Biggie pretty much changed the game. He brought real raw lyricism back to the game, and you know, rap music hasn't been the same because of it. So you know, he will, he will, he will live on throughout his songs, throughout his influence, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I I would see this in closing. He, in my opinion, is the is the best dead rapper, <laughs> you know. At this moment, um, I mean, Tupac comes at a close second, and yes, I, I love Tupac. I love I love you know the majority of his albums. I think that you know Me Against the Will and All Eyes on Me are his best works, but still, Biggie just had some. It, it was something about Biggie's rawness, though, his realness, just something about that that just resonated with me, you know. And even though I wasn't really all that wowed or like shocked, you know, over this is that back in 1997, you know. As I got old and I really understood his music and his relevance, I was like, well, wow, you know, this is a really terrible loss. So, Biggie, yeah. Life After Death, Ready to Die. If you haven't checked out those albums, check them out. They are excellent, excellent albums. And they hold up a lot to this to this very day.
right, so we covered uh, TV shows, so sorry, new TV show, and we talked about an album, a great album. Now we're finally going to talk about movies. And yep. we saw two, two that we were really, really excited for. Yeah. Um, first being John Peel's um, debut film, Get Out. Yes. And the second being the second film in the, well, now, sorry, well, recently, well, still developing, actually, MonsterVerse. <laughs> Pretty much Universal try to capitalize on the Marvel, you know, craze, basically. Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Right. So let's start off with Get Out. Yes. Yeah. You want to run through what Get Out is about? Oh, boy. Get Out. So, Get Out is about a character named Chris. Yes. Yeah, he's a, as a photographer, he's established pretty early on that he has a white girlfriend, and he is very conscious about his race involving because he's about to meet her parents. Yes. Right? And so they go to meet the parents, and then he starts picking up something kind of strange going on involving all the other black people in and around the household. It's yes. very, very strange. And yeah, shenanigans ensue. Mm hmm. And that's yeah. That's I ain't gonna yeah, get to yeah. all that. I just want to talk about the film itself. Exactly. Um, well, yeah. Well, let's say talk about it. Yeah, this film is entirely bounded on its subtext because its its central plot and premise is very Twilight Zone, Outer Limits type, Black Mirror type thing. In fact, that guy, the guy who played Chris, is uh, from a probably one of the better early Black Mirror episodes. I, I right, really like Daniel Kaluga. Kaluya, sorry, yeah. my bad. Kaluya, right? Yeah. yeah. And. This, it's, this, I'll say, it's entirely bounded on the, the idea of subtext and, you know, what we'll call social premise, social structures or historical structures of, of social or sociology, namely the concept of white privilege, white supremacy, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yes. Uh, so it, it does the whole, it does, it does a lot of subtext and a lot of what you're talking about with respect to race relations. And it does a good job with that. And then when you find out, what the real plot is, which is actually quite good and quite quite ex quite well executed. Um, ultimately, I, I really enjoyed the final product of this film. Um, yeah. Angle Eye, Blumhouse in a real sweet place right now, Drew. Yes. Like, I didn't even know they were involved with this. I, I, when I, I saw the logo, I was like, yes, it all makes sense here. Of yeah, course, they're involved. I'll go as far as saying that Blumhouse is basically becoming like the middle brow. I won't go as far as saying low brow, but becoming the middle brow A24. Right? <laughs> yeah. They started to pick some really smart projects. Um, they they started to pick directors who could prove themselves, and you know, creatively hungry now. Say, look, yeah. just give you five million or whatever it is, damn good script, and let's hammer it out. And yeah, and what I like about it because the budget's so lean, mm -hmm. you could, you basically could, um, you have to, you're more or less forced to do classic film techniques and good storytelling. Yes, yes, that's it. And then get a, hopefully you'll get a good actor too who will probably just do this on the cheap or for free. Right. Or, and then you'll get some famous actor who will do it on the cheap or for free. And you'll get a good good movie. Just a good director who really, you know, have a good solid script. And yeah, this was one of those. This was, as I said, it's basically on power with a really awesome Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, yeah. When you find out what's going on, it's actually pretty damn awesome. Is that basically some Stargate she one shenanigans going on. <laughs> right, right. And... Now yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, well sorry to cut to that. Now, you keep mentioning Twilight Zone and, and stuff like that. Those those are those are obvious references, right? Yeah. Now, the one that I was thinking about, well, actually, there's two, but unfortunately, I haven't seen... I only saw one of these these two movies. First movie is The Step for the Wives. Yeah. Yeah, well, which I haven't seen, but I, no, I pretty much know what it's yeah. about. Yeah. 
that whole everything is not what it seems it's you know it's what's going on underneath that kind of thing it's really weird and stuff so that that's the obvious one but the one that i was thinking about while watching this show was a little film called rosemary's baby Oh, Classic yeah. film, um, <laughs> Roman Polanski, one of his best I works. Comparison, but yeah, yeah, I, but, I but, with, right. Yeah. So why why I say Rosemary's Baby? And yes, in case you guys are wondering, uh, Jordan Peele actually said this in a in a recent interview courtesy of the Criterion Collection, which Rosemary's Baby is available on, and I actually got a hold of it finally. I have it on Blu-ray now. Yes, um, this is right. his favorite horror movie, like by far, Rosemary's Baby, right. and. Well, so the comparison with it is that it takes something, something that anybody could well, that well, something that we could relate to or at least understand at some in some way, shape, or form. So in this case, is Rosemary's Baby is the the fear of you know not just childbirth, but you know what would happen if this child is born. And then in this case with the movie, it's the birth of the Antichrist. Right. And it's all of Rosemary's neighbors. You know who kind of like peeping and stalking and all that kind of stuff, and you're wondering, well, what's going on with these people? And then you know it's all part of this great bigger satanic kind of plot going on and that kind of thing. But it's just basically they just taking real life situations or real life fears and just amping it up. So in this case with uh, with uh, Get Out, you know it's it's it, it yeah, and it still fits about racism, right? Or right. you know, but really passive racism. It's not like people just coming out in front of you and call you a nigger or what, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. It's people who try to play like the cool with it or the normal. It's like, oh, well, we're not racist, blah, blah, blah. But something is off about it. They could tell you, yeah, they, they, they don't act but that way around black thing, people. Eh? That kind of thing. Here's the thing with that. I, the way the film makes it look like, and I get the subtext of where they're going for with it, and it, it is there. But what it, what nobody talked about, and I, well, I suppose it's just to avoid spoilers, because the thing is, I had this film spoiled for me in the sense of where to... Not so much what the plot was, but where to look. There's a big twist in the movement involving some keys. And that was... it was I, Because I knew where to look, I was like, okay, that was kind of spoiled for me. because Mostly because of comments on the internet and just the, you kind of pick up on the context clues oh, about I see, it. I see. Right. right. And the thing is i really thought oh well when i thought the film was going to come down to an iron thought it was all about uh race but then when a certain when the big when the final thing is revealed the ultimate ultimate final reveal as i mentioned the stargate actually won shenanigans yeah which, which was uh, clever by the way that that was yeah i thought that was actually a really good it was like oh that's, okay, that's, okay i enjoyed it. yeah but when yeah. they reveal it in the end of the day you realize and this is, this is just my quick analysis of this my kind of two cents you know philosophizing kind of nonsense right um ultimately why why work on this and social institutions that that present today or social structures and present today that were reliant on um very pathological social institutions of the past like slavery or whatever it is indentureship whatever it is the big part of it is that when the guy reveal yeah when they reveal what was going on when everything was revealed and, and what was said and done it actually wasn't about racism at all it was just actually quite utilitarian. And they got into that banality of evil aspect of it. They say, look, the opposite of love is not necessarily hate. It's really indifference. You know, um, I don't want to spoil it, but the, the guy, the guy, the character mentioned, he said, I don't want to be, he asked him, um, why black people? And he said, yeah, because of this, that, and the other. And he kind of just gets into style or whatever it is. But he said, I don't want to be part of that. I just want your eyes. And 
I oh thought, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I thought when he when he said that, that, that was actually for me the much chilling part of the movie. It was like, oh shit, like these big evil systems is not about people going out to harm you or anything like that. It's just look, they just want to get something and just want to get it done, and this is the most efficient way to do it. Full stop. You know, you're just dealing with these kind of sociopathic machines more or less now. Yeah, and yeah. That's why that that's why this movie worked for me because they get into a kind of Hannah and banality of evil aspect of things now. Right. Um, that's why the film really, really worked. You know, and it, yeah, yeah, it, you know, it had a black hero killing white people. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I tried not to look at it that way. I know a lot of people will, you know, try to spin it negatively and say, well, oh, this movie is, is promoted racism against white people. Oh, right. but no, it's it, not it, like that. It, That's not the approach it really of it. It's not about racism in the end of the day, both ways. I mean, the subtext is there. Mm. The subtext is there. And, and you know, um, Peel makes a, makes a case about, look, there's very real racism here. Here's why, blah, 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 blah. But in the case, in the case of Chris, it's not a big deal now. It wasn't really about race ultimately. Sadly, it was really about Chris's like talent now, because yeah. he, it's revealed. Well, we know why why he's, he's talented now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and then when you think about it, with just with with how African Americans are perceived, in you know in the states actually, you know in in the media and all that kind of stuff, always looked upon either you know positively like if they're gods or whatever you know if you're a basketball star or whatever or negatively right. you know you sell drugs and that kind of thing so it kind of touches on both but just you know very 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 clever that they, how they right. do that yeah um well i would say well i was i was very impressed by it but the thing is like i watched it with a friend of mine that he was saying basically that people will be kind of inclined to see that they like the show or they really love the show because right. if they see that they don't like it, they might come off as being racist or, or um, you know, that kind of thing. This thing, no, well, it has enough. I, I can't, like, I can't imagine anybody doing that because it's not like with Moonlight where you had that kind of stuck towards it, no. Right. Um, in the case of this, no, this was just like normal fare. It was just still a solid, solid movie. But yes, I, I, I do agree that it does have that, that stacked weight of the social implications of it and the racial implications of it. Um, working for or maybe against it, not sure. But the movie works on its own. I yeah. mean, even if, even if, let us say, the, because the movie could have worked perfectly even if it wasn't about race. Like, the, the, the race subtext above, above it puts it on a next level and uh, speaking to a certain audience. Yeah, it makes but it like, more yeah, like, effective. But it was biting the movie. The movie could have worked perfectly fine. Yeah. It would have, have been kind of boring and forgettable because it's like, again, the fi- when you learn what the final plot is, it's pretty cool, but it's not that cool. And I, again, the movie's strength really rely on A, being just re- generally well done, in my opinion. Yes, yes, um, yes. Well edited, well paced. Uh, the only thing that kind of took away from it, it had these 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 jump cut moments. Sorry, not that game jump cut, jump scare moments. Um, and I didn't get the point of those. All right, there, there was one particular one that, okay, it was a jump yes, scare it, completely. It, it, but what I like is that you saw the scare and then the music came up. It was like right. music and, and, yeah. and image, and then you're trying to process everything. But you get right. jolted, and, and I, thought, I thought it was more funny than scary. Like you're wondering, wait, he trying to make fun of movies that do jump scares i don't show i think it was, that, was that was that was clearly calling that out though about right. how cliche jump scares are right and how and you know every the, every horror movie had to be reliant on it like this one here right and then it had a lot of a lot of humor in it which was pretty like his friend from the tse and then was, oh yes yes, yes. Bit, he stole the show <laughs> stole the show. i would bit about the tse i think his name is um well real well we've got stage name whatever Lil Ray. Hori, I believe that's his name. Yeah, but okay, he... I don't know the I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, I could the be wrong. The only person I know I recognize for sure is um is Lakeith Stanfield. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, right, he from, played from Andrew. Andrew. He would. Yeah, he was great. 
uh, from, and then, from, uh, from uh, and then our main character, uh, you see, you see him in the early in the film, and then they they they, they, they reveal what his purpose was later on. Um, as I said, Starkey that she won shenanigans. Um, oh God, I forget his actor name. He was in um, I know him from Office Space now. Uh, uh, Stephen Root. I just call the names here. Stephen Root. Yeah, you're right. See what that is, Stephen Root. I know a Norman name straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, again, back to to um to Harry, right? The guy who plays Rod. Um, he was literally the street man. Issue. He was the audience and all that kind of thing. That was. Cool. And he was. Well, what I liked about it, right? They went through all the like the, the, the usual shenanigans you would think about with stuff like this, now. Like, yeah. oh, it's a sex cult and a this da 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 da. And that was pretty funny. And what I also like too is that he was resourceful. He did things. He was like, oh my god, he wasn't like right. the token black guy who gets killed. I don't want right. to say in horror movies, but horror spoofs. You know, he right. wasn't playing that. Yes, he was talkative and loud, but he was resourceful. He, Like I said, he was the audience. He was thinking what we were thinking. I love that. Um, right. <clears throat> well, well, if I could just, uh, just get a finish up, right? Um, I thought that the acting was, was fantastic across the board. Um, particularly, you know, the, the Armitage family. Um, that's the, the white family. Um, from Alison yeah. Williams, Bradley Woodford, Catherine Keener, who I haven't seen in ages. Um Caleb Jones, who plays the um, who plays the the weird, creepy son. You know, what I, mean? right. I just thought that everyone had their own personality. Um, you really wasn't sure what was going on with them, and I love how the whole movie kind of maintains that you're not sure what's going on. You want to know yeah. more, and it no, just no, adds a sense of intrigue and suspense. That yeah, you know, they, this they, yeah, the way it's done, it, it it really makes you let your your guard down because it's like just a normal family, and then they do a scene with a teacup. And then that is where the shit just hit the fan. It's like, yeah, wow. Yeah, and the stuff that they do with that, though, was, was impressive. It, that was pretty um, goddamn awesome and scary as hell, dude. Yeah. That real work. Yeah. Um, uh, my minor gripes I would have... Oh, yeah, so I forgot to mention the, the, the story is well told, well paced, well, you know, well executed from start right. to end. Um, if I have to, just a few minor gripes, though. First off, couple of the camera shots or like the camera movements were a little tiny, little jerky, especially like in the, in the early sections. There's one okay. part where they were leaving a car, you saw it kind of, saw the camera kind of, you know, um, shake a little bit. There's another moment where the camera is zooming out from the this medium shot of the of the Armitage house. I saw a little jerkiness here and there. That's just little minor things, but that's just stuff that, you know, like, uh, how come me, I end up picking up on that? You know, that's one thing. All right, so, um, for, me, so, yeah. so for me, some of the setbacks is, um, again, the humor was kind of not applied. Some, some of it was applied well, but other parts it was not that funny and didn't really work. Um, for me, well, yeah, same there's, thing. I, I agree. There's a yeah. scene with um, this girl, Max from Living Single, which cracked me up. Eh? Um, this is where she detective. from, yeah, Max from Living I Single. I knew I'd know her face from that, somewhere. Like, oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I was watching her face, I know her from somewhere, but you know, I couldn't register. And I knew the, the black fellow who was stand up, um, behind her. Slight spoiler, right. but, I, but then, I can't remember it, where he's from either. Right, then the um, I'll say, right, and then well, you, you, you talk about camera movies being amateurish to me, some of the camera movements. Kind of telegraph some of the stuff that was going to happen. No, I didn't say amateur. It's just needed a little no, yes, polish. Like That's pickup, all. right? Yeah. Right. No. Uh, uh, for me, what I noticed is the camera, uh, the camera movements was was telegraphing some of the plot. I think. So you saw it come in. Or you mean like you know, still to the left, and you see somebody action. So they move the camera. It's like, well, why they move the camera? Well, clearly, it's to, because this coming for this coming, and you expect it to come now. Exactly. Um, Especially then, when they're setting up like a scare. Yeah. Sorry. Especially when Not they set it up as scared. Really when the plot made the switch turn and it's coming down to the end, it had like a one particularly big camera moment. It's like, wow, I like 
we know this coming though. Right, right. Um, then an- another thing, one thing in the plot that was kind of I, I don't I don't want to spoil it. Well, I should spoil it a little bit, but I don't um I don't understand how he get the, the thing in his ears. Uh, couldn't follow oh, that. Oh yeah. Did he do that? Right. Uh, like you know. Yeah, how did they, 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 did not, they did not reveal how he do it. I don't right. know. Like, what I, happened? I, they had like a few scenes between when it was established to no to then not, but. Right. Never say between that point. Oh well, this yeah, is why he, would, he did that. Like that. Like, because they, they they show it and it for it clearly foreshadowed before before we see it. It's like okay, this is the the little quick um, we call it a checkoff's gun. Yeah, they use it, and then he solved the problem. And I was like, all right, yeah, but how you do that though? Like I couldn't follow how he do that. Right. Um, um. And well, just for me, um, well, my my final gripe. Um, I'll be real careful. I'll see this right. Now, similar to say Rosemary's Baby, for example. Like yes, that show is a horror, right? But right. it's not the you know every five minutes is a scare kind of horror. It's one of those movies that slow is like a slow burn, but it builds and builds in terms of just the creepiness and it like you know it's really all based off the premise itself. Like if you read right. the premise alone, it sounds scary, right? But when you see it play out, you're like, oh well, that's not really all that scary, you know. But then when well, the movie does when the movie starts to build, it's like, oh wait, something wrong, something wrong. And then when it ends, it's like um, you feel messed up now. And that's how I felt right. here with this one. Like, you know, it was being marketed as a horror. And I remember, like, the first time I saw the first trailer, I was like, this is incredibly messed up, you know what I mean? But long story short, I was, I was expecting some more scares. But right, then I understood because because he was going for that sort of slow burn Rosemary's Baby kind of vibe where it's all about setting up the, the premise and see, just carrying it out to the, to the extreme. And he did that, but still at the end, and I'm not saying this because, you know, it's 2017 and all, I just, because of the way how it's marketed as a horror, I didn't come out of it like, yeah, boy, that scare me, boy, you know what I mean? Right. But if, yeah, if you want to label it, you could still call it horror, but still, it's it's more like that old school slow burn horror, but you still right. call it horror. But, you know, because, like I say, we in modern times now, you're kind of expecting scares now, and I find I didn't get much of it. I just got this really very well executed but very weird premise that it's got really weird and more creepy it's more creepy than frightening that, that's basically what i'm saying but right as, I, a, as a horror yeah. i wanted more scares of it but that's just my little right yeah no there. i i kind of come i come i agree with you i find the movie should have played itself more seriously um yes the humor was there it was funny and because we know john peter's a funny man um i suppose he, he kind of had that pressure to make the script funny Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would have loved the movie if the, I would have really wanted to see a version of this movie that played itself more seriously. Yeah. Um, where everything is really serious. No, you know, no comedy, like very little comedy relief, little, little like minimize, cut the comedy relief as much as they can and see how that works. Um, yeah. I, I, know, like, I was watching this and I was like, moments like, you know, you could add a scare here and you could add a scare there. No? Well, no, I mean, it's, you, you can't contrive your scares, but it's just to figure out the mystery and then what, what the hell going on because he really, really was powerless at certain points, eh? I mean, especially with, with again with involving teacups, yes. teacup shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, he really couldn't do anything about that, and I thought that, that was really well planned out and thought out. It didn't happen again. There's only, as I said, the only plot plot thing involving his ears. Uh, I couldn't really. It was next to it was perfectly fine in terms of how the structure should be and how the villains did their plan, right? Yes. Uh, yes. What was going on? Um, but yeah, I really wanted things to be more serious. If it was played more seriously and more straight, I would have loved to see. I would have, I think I'd have probably prefer that movie. And yeah. I get the feeling that John Peel, because he's a funny man, well, you know, he had to make us laugh a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, I think ultimately, if it was played a little more serious, it would probably be a, a better and better for it. Yeah, ultimately. but... but, but, uh, but, but, uh, but, but What's your yeah. rating? Well, but for me, though, um, 
while I wasn't completely blown away by it, and I wouldn't say it's like the scariest movie I ever saw in my life, though. No, yeah. It is definitely one of the best debuts I've seen, and this is coming off right after, um, you know, Birth of a Nation from last year, you know? Right. Which I said was a, a, a excellent debut film. So, from Jordan Peele, though, I was like, yeah, this man has a future in American films, and I like the fact that he doesn't want to be typecast into just doing comedy shticks because, oh, he's a comedian, and he's a black comedian, so he has to do comedies, and, you know, it has to be all about racing, but this one, you know, he took this particular, I don't want to call it a taboo topic, topic, but very, very complex topic, and just how he spin it and make it really, he made it, it, it just got on, it got under my skin, I imagine it will get into a lot of people's skin too while they're watching it, but, yeah. um, Still, like, because of that trailer, when I was expecting it to be, like, a horror, not scene, just a full torture fest, but just more horrific things. But because it reminded me of, like, those old horror films, like Rose, uh, Rosemary's Baby, you know, where it wasn't just about chewing or throwing scares at you. It was just building up this, unnerve, you know, this sense of, unnerve, uh, uh, you know, just making it feel uneasy, basically. Um, I have to give credit to that. It's, it's really, like, a throwback basically to like old school horror films like this is like this style of horror you don't see in cinema these days right. and i'm glad that a guy like john peel could actually make an effort to make something like this like i say as a debut film this is fantastic acting was was great camera work you know not perfect cinematography was 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 fine and overall just this very weird very intriguing and very you know but <laughs> very baffling story just boring on mystery like you just want to know what happens next you know and right. just keeping me on the edge of my seat though i say job well done so while i wouldn't give it a high 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 score i have to say job well done for this movie here so i'll give yeah. it a light four out of five stars i definitely will check it out on big screen um just don't go in expecting a bunch of visceral scares a lot of blood and guts and gore just go in expecting to be challenged mentally you know this is one to make you really think about what's going on and because of how relatable it is regardless of what race you are yeah you're gonna come out of it you're gonna come out feeling disturbed in one way or another i just wish personally i came out feeling a little bit more messed up but still for what john peel was going for i thought it was a job well done so yeah by all yeah. means check out get out so what yeah. do you think about get out Right, yeah. Uh, for me, this was this was pretty well done. Uh, again, with a little minor gripes here, there that could easily be smoothed over. I really had little to few, very few problems with this. Overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really well done. Really, thing as I said, it should have been a little more serious. Um, I could have do it a little more. I could have do it. Another thing too, I was just thinking about. I could have do it a little more exposition of what, like we knew why they were doing what they were doing, but I thought they would have expo like explain the back philosophy more. Like my had a yeah, that, that, yeah I, I agree too, yeah. Right. Um, but it just kind of leaves it there like, well, that's kind of crazy. Ooh, well, I don't want to think right. more about it. And I just want to see MSK. They didn't really explain. I thought they would have explained like the, the, the... But I mean, I, I suppose the movie could have worked perfectly fine without this, but I wanted them to explain like the nitty-gritty of how, what they're doing is and how it works really. Yeah, um, I, I, I think if you actually see it work, that would have been that you would have got right, more space right. out of a that. little more a little more exposition a little more exposition but what they did with it was fine i don't you know you don't sometimes stuff like that you don't really need to explain anyway you can just leave it open right uh yeah this this was just generally good for me as i say i this is movies i have no problem with i want more movies like this this is these are the kind of stuff you get a good nice little um genre flick 
it yeah, works. And something brief too. Like this is yeah, brief I, filmmaking right here. Right, yeah. It's yeah. a simple genre flick. It works. And then again, the social social, you know, subtext above it, you know, really the layer above really makes it work and, and really sells it overall. Um and yeah, yeah, to me again, Bloodhouse, Bloodhouse make another hit here with this one. I mean, I, I really enjoying Bloodhouse right now. They're in a real nice space. Yeah, um for real. given given filmmakers who want to prove themselves, get them a five million and let them run with it and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so rating wise, what, what will you give this one, man? Yeah, I'm gonna give this a low IMAX. Um Fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Solid, solid filmmaking for me. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with this. Um it worked. Again, I would really want to, I would have loved to see the version of this that um was a little more serious, but yeah, overall, I just want to see this, and I, I really hope it has some director's cut somewhere that, you know, it's more serious, whatever. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe, who knows? Thoroughly, and maybe we might see this. this. I, I, I know Jordan Peele said that he has other um, kind of scripts in the wings, like black black scripts, talking about the black experience in the United States, because this had a really strong subtext of the black experience in the United States, and he, I think on Twitter, he talked about what the, well, what the, the uh, there's a thing, I don't want to mention it, um, but what that thing is, what it means. Um, right. And it's talk about silence and our voice and blah, 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 blah. And it had a lot of, a lot of stuff there. So it totally worked. Um, yeah, overall, I, I just, this was a big recommend. And might make, it might make a, a top 10 for the year, possibly. Yeah, might might make my own too. I was going to say maybe it might be in the Criterion Collection one day. Who knows? Because yeah, pretty early, how much praise are given. Pretty early in the year. But yeah, this, it's possible that this might make a top 10 list. Right. Yeah. Cool. And finally, to close things off, we have to talk about the show by the monster show by yeah. Kong Skull Island, which is actually the second film, believe it or not, from indie, well, former indie director John Vo, or Vo, forgive, forgive me if I got the name wrong, Roberts. Um, previously, he brought out The Kings of Summer, which I haven't seen. I probably heard of it somewhere, but, you know, it just didn't, you know, Marie didn't pick it up, basically. Um, this is the second film in Universal's MonsterVerse. The first one being 2014 So-So um, Godzilla. I yes. say So-So because, I mean, the, 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 the marketing engine behind it, you know, it, it got me on board. But then when I saw it and just how they were yeah, teasing at Godzilla, I was just like, um, yeah, why they do that? Like, I know what they're trying to do, but why they do that for? It's like yeah. trying to be American and less cheesy. Like, oh, we don't want to be as corny as the Japanese version. So this is right. this way, but we don't want to be like um, Roland Emmerich's. <laughs> Um, 98 Godzilla movie. We right. don't want to do that. Let's be a little clever. No, yeah, it's not that same. I don't know what to call uh, it, but it's going to be Man of Steel effect now. You know, yeah. it's, it's, they want to be everything else and then try to reinvent the wheel. And try and to be serious with it too. The wheel yet. Yeah, they've given us a janky octagon. Yeah, and trying to be so serious with it too. Like, and the tone it, yeah, of Godzilla was so... Yeah, the tone of Godzilla was so serious though. Right. And it didn't even, like, when it went to the Godzilla moments, it's like, well, it's, it's kind of like watching two different things. Right. But anyway... So Kong pretty much, well, I don't want to spoil everything about it. It's set in 1973, so this is right after the Vietnam War. So we have this, um, he's just a large group of characters, basically. So um, John Goodman, who plays William Randa, he is part of a, gov a government organization sorry, called Monarch, who I was reminded quite recently was involved in um, the Godzilla. previous Godzilla movie. I, I yeah. honestly forgot that. Sorry. And uh, he... Building. Sorry? World building. Yeah, world building. Yes. Yeah. So he is pretty much head, um, leading this expedition to go into this uncharted island called Skull Island. Um, 
So he gets the military involved. He gets um, Samuel Jackson, who plays Preston Packard. He's this, um, you know, this U.S. Army colonel, basically. Yeah. And he is, you know, basically just holding on to demons of his past, you know, from the war and whatnot. Um, they get the rope in Tom Hiddleston, a.k.a. Loki. Um, he plays his former British um, special air service captain. And apparently he's like this badass, like everybody is like in awe of him. <laughs> um, we have McGill Brie Larson, who plays Mason Weaver, who is a uh, photojournalist. Um, and some other characters as well, too are roped in into this this expedition into this um into this island basically and as soon as they get there the plan is well uh, the plan at first is to you know pretty much check out the geographical aspect of the island so they end up dropping bombs and upon dropping of those bombs yeah kong wakes up it's like right what the hell jed i was trying to sleep while you're dropping bombs on my host nah and he just goes ape shit like literally <laughs> on these these soldiers. So as a result, the you know basically the entire team is um is split up into two, yeah. and they have to get to this extraction point within the next I believe it's two three days to get out of the island, or else they'll be trapped along with Kong and a ton of other big, deadly gigantic creatures. And along the way, they run into John C. Riley, who um, I forgot the name right now. Um, Hank Malo. Yeah. So basically, he was a World War, he 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 served in, in World War Two. I won't say what happens, but he ends up being stuck on this particular island. And he, at first, I was thinking that he was playing like the Marlon Brando character of Apocalypse Now, but he's more like the Dennis Hopper character. That right. guy who has just been so deep inside this 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 jungle, he goes mad. So basically, he's just rambling. He's just talking a bunch of nonsense. But you can tell he's he's insane. And he pretty much is assisting you know um, these individuals in not only surviving in this um in this forest in this jungle basically, but getting to that extraction point and leaving you know on time. Right. So. What are your thoughts on Kong Skull Island? Because believe me, there's lots of great things about it. I'll say that much first, but I want to hear right. your opinion first. I had fun. It's a like the monkey movie. I yes. had fun. It's a so did movie. I. So did I. So did I. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with the monkey movie. Uh, yeah, the problem with this. Um, main problem is that they never established these characters properly. So no. the characterization no. really suffered for everybody, especially Brie Larson and, um, what do call him? Loki. Yeah, I mean, both of them are great actors. and Right, I mean, pretty faces. They're just there for pretty faces. Of and course, especially Brie Larson. Hello. <laughs> taking pictures, loving it. Yeah. But the only character who really does anything is, um, you know, Marlo. Yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. Well, well, he's the one who actually has character. Well, I do agree with you. I think this is like the biggest problem of this movie is just that because A, there's too much characters. There's too much people to look out for. We gotta right. look. We gotta look out for John Goodman. We gotta look out for Tom Hiddleston. We gotta look for Brie Larson. We gotta look for that cute Chinese girl from 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 Great Wall. We gotta look for right. um, Toby Kip, um, Kebble. We gotta look for um, Jason Mitchell. Yeah, Corey forget Toby Hawkins. Yeah. Corey Hawkins from Walking Dead and Shadow the Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the right. You know what I mean? We gotta look John C. Reilly. We gotta look out Shea Wingham from 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 Boardwalk Empire. We have to look out for all. Oh yes, and um, uh, what's this other show? Agent Carter. Yeah, he was from that too. You know, you're okay. looking out at all these characters, all these actors, and you know them by face, right? Even though you might remember a particular name or whatever, but you know them by face, right? But 
because there's so much actors. Oh, yes, of course, Samuel Jackson, who I'll get to as well. And it's just all these familiar faces. But, you know, because you're trying to balance them and you want to show Kong, you don't want to do like what they did in Godzilla where it was too much of humans and not enough monster. Yeah, the, the characters fall flat. You know, there's either the two-dimensional or the one-dimensional or they're just not dimensional at all. They're just there to be food for these creatures. Um, and, oh yes, on the subject of the creatures, one particular creature still the most to me was the spider. That right. was a particularly creepy as hell moment. The way how that how that spider was killing the um, the, the humans. Only wow. killed so good, you know, again. I had fun with the action. And especially yeah. the, the, the final, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Yeah, the final yeah. fight. But the Spider-Man. problem is that, that particular character, I mean, okay, you could argue that some of these people just here to be to be monster food, but still right. the major characters, and yes, their lives are put at, on the line. You wish you could care more, but unfortunately, because the movie doesn't give you enough time to, you just watch it like, oh, well, I hope Tom Hiddleston lives. I hope Brie Larson lives. I mean, she looks great. I hope Samuel Jackson lives because it's Samuel Jackson. You know what I mean? That's how you right. look at it. You don't see it as, oh, well, I hope that James lives and, you know, Hank lives and characters live. You know what I mean? It's just, okay, I hope that um, Dr. Dre from <laughs> Straight Outta Compton lives because it's Dr. Dre. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that kind of thing though. But um, but what what else what else about the show that you liked or didn't like? It it's only just the visuals. Visuals look great. Um, and then the fighting. That was about yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. I don't really again. It, it it the visuals look good. It has some great shots in this. Um, oh my as god! The this, this show this is full of of great shots though. But yeah, forgive me for saying this though. I could be wrong, but I find that oftentimes the show is so so indulgent. It was yeah. just like. Look at this great wide shot. Look at this great wide shot. Look how cool and stylized everything have to be. It's just like, all right, just tune it down a little bit. We get it. It's, no, no, it's I, referencing yeah. Kong. No, it's referencing me? King Kong. Referencing Apocalypse. Now at the same time, right. we get it. But I mean, I love my style, but it was just so much style. Just so much, like every shot had to be like this great stylized kind of thing. Like, all right, we get it. Okay. <laughs> No, no, yeah. I, for me, for me, it was yeah. It was this style I shot on this thing, and I was like, yeah, yeah. That show me the monkey. Yeah, just, you know, just take it easy, now. Like, up okay. on the it, it, and it, it's, it's nice to see him in front of you know when when his sun setting. I mean, okay, I get. All right, all right, but yeah, no, oh, yeah. It, it, felt, <laughs> it felt like a, it felt like I am, um, but I, 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 the thing is, sadly, is that I really wanted to see this. I didn't get a chance to see it in IMAX. So I wanted to see it there. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, so we, we, we're not getting it here yet. Um, the posters on their website, but we're not getting it. You know, they're showing, yeah, they're showing Logan and Beauty and the Beast. Beauty right. and the Beast hasn't come out um, in Movie Town and Caribbean Cinemas 8 down here in Trinidad, but it's in IMAX right now. Okay, all right. Which is weird, eh? <laughs> no. But yeah, um, mm. but I imagine if I saw it there, I would have loved it even more because, yes, the visuals are fantastic. This deserves to be seen on big screen. This is meant to be experienced on big screen. Um, I thought that the visuals for the most part were great. Right. There were a few moments where you could tell, yeah, that's green screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, I'll just spoil one scene. In particular, it's a, f- a popular scene that they just happened to, I find, shoehorning because, you know, you want to be true to Kong while being different. Is where you have Brie Larson, you know, touching Kong's nose, you right. know, in, in the moonlight. And it was like, um, it just felt kind of tacked on, you know what I mean? Like I, I kind of understood what what would attract um, Kong to her in the first place, apart from her being this white woman, you know, Kong and white woman again. But still, right. it just kind of felt kind of shoehorn went to 
show that yes humans are human and kong isn't a, a savage beast and he could be you know somber and whatnot he could be mellow and whatnot blah 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 but it didn't really work in the story it was just there to kind of say well yeah kong is good after all you know you know just right. a savage you know but when kong is on screen though he owns every scene every frame I love the fight scenes that he had. One in particular, the one with the octopus. I love that. That was yeah. that was so badass. awesome. Yeah, that was badass. Um, the fight scene there in the end with him and this um sort of lizard creature was cool. Right, but skull, there was a, a, the skull crushes. I think there. Yeah, I could right. be wrong, but there was a particular pacing moment in it that threw me off. Cause like they would cut from that one particular fight and then show the humans trying to get to safety or trying to get to that extraction point, and right. then it's like, oh well. Right, remember that fight that was going on a few minutes ago? Okay, well, it continuing here now. Oh wait, is Kong dead? Wait, no, 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 wait, he's alive. Okay, but we don't know what happened in that in that space, you know. Yeah. So yeah, pacing was a little, was 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 off at times. Um, editing, editing was okay, but the I was picking up on it. They have these sort of audio bridges that they do a lot of. Once again, style. Uh, sorry, a lot of style, but no substantive. So, like, as I was noticing in the first half, basically, like, literally, where they would cut from one scene to the next, they always use, like, these audio bridges. It's almost like, well, it's like you build intention for what exactly. You know what I mean? Right. But it's like, um, you don't have to cut to each and every sequence like this, you know. You can let the movie flow, you know. I understand you're trying to be all stylized and stuff, but you don't have to cut, you don't have to transition with the audio bridge every time. Just seeing. Um, I thought that the action sequences were, were great as well too. Overall, this is exactly what it is, right? It's exactly what you paid for. It's a monster movie, top to bottom. It's very much a a, a B movie with yeah. a list of actors in it. Okay, don't get me wrong. Everybody was on point with this one. Um, I just felt because there wasn't that much characterization, you know, it it oftentimes feels like if these 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 acting talents are being wasted here, like. You know, give Brie Larson some more to do, except uh, apart from just taking pictures. Give Tom Hilson some more depth instead of, well, oh, I could do this. And I'm, I'm such a badass and all that kind of stuff. Um, McGill, um, Jing Tian from, from Great Wall, didn't give she anything to do, really. Yeah, nothing. The closest thing she she do that was, like, strenuous was just, like, opening a can. So I, can imagine, was it? I can imagine, uh, you know, well, it's kind of the cynical side of me, could, could just imagine... You know, she have like way more scenes just for the Chinese audience. Yeah, and she had much lines to give. She probably like, probably like about have five or six lines total. Sort of got. Um, John Goodman, I find he could have done more with his character. Like he kind of starts off the film, but then he just kind of goes off somewhere. Um, and once again, oh yes, and there's another big flaw. And you know, even though it's a B movie, I, I really can't forgive it. Is that you have characters doing dumb shit. Yeah. Just out of the blue. There's one scene involving a character sacrificing himself or herself, I wouldn't say who, that just keep, was so forced, it made absolutely no sense. It just happens. And when it happens, I was like, why are you doing this? And then the payoff it didn't work at all. It came off more laughable than anything else. And then right. the subject of laughs, by the way, um, there were moments where they were trying to be funny and, you know, often, oftentimes those jokes fell flat. And it's only every once in a while you might get, like, you know, some genuine laughter. But because you're just enjoying the whole monster movie vibe of it, you just kind of don't care. But, you know, there are moments where it's like, yeah, you're always trying to be funny there. 
Um, and closing, because, you know, I, I sound like I really nitpicking a lot about it. Samuel Jackson, boy. <laughs> oh, my right. God. They just had to pick somebody who could be so over the top. And, you know, this is one scene. And when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this pretty much sums up what this movie about. Samuel Jackson and Kong staring down each other. And you seen right. flames in front of them. Napalm flames. I was like, yeah, that's what this show is about. It's Samuel Jackson staring down, staring up, sorry, at Kong. That's it. You cannot get any more over the top than that. You can't get any more grandiose than that. Though. I thought that his character, well, he's one of the more two-dimensional characters in the film. Um, yeah. I like his motivation in terms of, you know, him going against Kong. But I felt that it could have been a little bit more stronger. So you could have buy into it a little bit more. Now. So it kind of came off like, oh, well, all of a sudden, we, it's like we need a human villain. So, hey, let's pick, let's pick. Samuel Jackson, because right. he does villain roles a lot, you know, whatever. Let's pick him, and he, he has a stay-down contest with Kong, so let's do that, yeah, you know. But overall, I mean, the reason why I could I could nitpick these things is because, once again, you have this E-list cast, and you could, yeah. you know, you could have done so much better with them, and then also to the script itself, I find could have been a lot better than it was, but still, because it was just primarily a monster film, I can't really bashy film too much about it but on the other hand i know a lot of people mightn't like the film so much because they didn't care for the characters or didn't care about the story but you cannot you, you have to admit though seeing kong on screen doing his stuff makes up for it for the right. most part right. so I'll, I'll just read it one time so i would give this a light three and a half out of five stars it's worth checking out especially on the big screen don't right. go in expecting too much. Don't go in expecting Peter Jackson's Oscar-winning King Kong, which I still love. I know you don't like it, but I, I still I, love yeah, it. Yeah, I was on the one my dad. I actually, well, we got argue about. There was more characterization in that. Let me be right. real here, and it was more memorable stuff in that. <laughs> let me be, let me be real here. Let I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I wonder how Peter Jackson is so probably watching this thing is like, that's the best all he could do. Pssst, really, right? <laughs> but. It work as a monster film, as you know, giving us that. So you know, for that alone, just for that entertainment factor, just for you know that popcorn movie factor, it works. So you know, it's one of those pre those films that you just don't really think about too much, and you just go in and have fun. But you know, you you might be turned down by does he lack a characterization and stuff. I felt that really bogged the film down a lot. But still, if you just go in just expecting to see monsters dueling. That's what they get. And I would say, just in closing, stick around for the for the post um end credit scene basically, where right. it will set up pretty much this monster verse. And I have to say, I I I kinda excited. I, I can't wait to see what they do next, especially with yeah. the, so how they I, get these creatures fighting. I wanna see what they do next, man. Right. So they just had to just go and just do this and make sure and pull off the the, the creature fighting wildness. Yeah, uh, that's what it was. It's like, hey folks, this is this is what we're gonna get. So yeah, sure the thing is, don't be as serious as the thing. Just, just get the monsters to fight and just design them fights real, well, real good. That's all you had to do. Don't make, don't waste your time trying to. Well, you need to write this character script because they clearly don't give a fuck about the characters. <laughs> no right. So, they saw that with Godzilla, where they should have focused on Ken Watanabe and, and Brian Cranston, and they didn't, and that pissed them off. And so I wanted to see them. You know, just say, look, if you're gonna do, don't, but if you're if you're if you're gonna suffer with the character, just give us give us a meat what we come for to see giant monsters, you know, wreck the place up, right? Yeah. Do that. 
And that is all I wanted. And with this film, I got a lot more than 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 that Godzilla film. So I appreciated that more than this. Yeah, it, it's it's easily better than than Godzilla by far. Right. Talkable characterization as much as you want to. You cannot admit that this movie is way better than Godzilla by far. Right. It was an execution, pay off, everything work. Even though it's not perfect, it was way better. Right. Yeah. And I had, I had a lot of fun with that. It it worked. Um, yeah. I, I, I smell an IMAX written, even though we didn't get um, it in IMAX, no. but no. No, no, no. It doesn't. Well, here's the thing. It, it, again, I would love to see this in IMAX to judge it in IMAX properly, maybe. But ultimately, um, I have to give this a high CC it. All right. Rightfully so. Yeah. Okay. I had a ton of fun with it. Um, it, it, you know, the spectacle and wildness was pretty cool, and I had a lot, ton of fun with that. But ultimately, it had nothing. Yeah, and yeah. I would say this much too because I actually saw it in in Caribbean Cinema. It, it doesn't need to be in treaty. You don't need to see it in treaty. Why was this movie in treaty? I saw it and like I don't know. Maybe it's the screen that I went to, but I felt that the colors were so dull and diluted. Like I didn't get those those vibrant colors that I saw in the the trailers that really wowed me. Right. It, it felt so dull now when I watch it in 3D so if you could see it in 2D yeah watch it in 2D 3D right. is, is not necessary for this one at all but yeah continue right. yeah no yeah, pretty much I, I would love to see this in IMAX in a proper screen on a proper thing um, I, yeah I could see this I could see my, myself enjoying this I, uh, I, roughly a year from now when it comes out on cable or whatever it is and I watch it on a, a big 40 inch or whatever yeah uh, I say in big 40 inch although 40 inch is not big anymore <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I watch it number 40 inch and I enjoy it on that and I, you know, decent monitor, whatever it is. Uh, right, I'll probably enjoy it. But, uh, you know, I saw it where I saw it in, in, yeah, in, we call it South Park. South Park, yeah. Right, not that good. No, it's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Not that special. And it wasn't even the big screen in South Park because it did just the bad timing. Right. Um. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing. I really want to see this in IMAX and make that effort. Overall, enjoyed it. Um. But, yeah, just. I won't say forgettable because we have other monster movies coming, but yeah, if, if the monster movies don't pan out or, or Kong don't do well, which I expect it to do well. Yeah. Um, uh, I give it I give it a I give it a, a, that score. That that's that high CC it. And that's pretty cool. much it. Um, not much to talk about. I just hope I just want to see some Gamera giant turtle or some extra other stuff. But so far we will just get the usual right with the post credit. Yeah. You know, big monster. Um, and I'll just see this in closing though. Um with with Warner, what they're doing here. It's easily like them trying to do, you know, the whole Marvel movie anthology kind of thing. Basically, this whole Marvel universe kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, just taking creatures from the 60s that we grew up with and trying to thing, you know, with today's technology. But, oh, yes. And, um, uh, you know, if I would be so happy if this movie gets a nomination for best um, visual effects, at least just for the oh, stuff really? that they do. It's not perfect, but I felt that what they pulled off visually was, was excellent. Or well, at least... I don't know, art direction or something. No, I know that's not the actual category, but I feel like the art direction or at least the style yes, visually was just excellent, right? Um, i kind of curious to see how exactly you're going to pull off, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong and all these other monsters I remember from like the Toho, you know, Kaiju movie era. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm I just really intrigued to see what they do with it. That, that's all I have to say. I'm not seeing it uh, are super excited but just intrigued to see how Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures are gonna you know rework these characters to for, for our you know palette our taste palette basically I don't know but uh, right. you'll see I mean Kong we've seen him before 
you know, in, in American films and seeing it with, with Godzilla, but seeing <laughs> these other creatures now, this 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 going to be real interesting, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, we'll see. And and maybe, just maybe, we might get, like, an MF Doom soundtrack, you know, because, you know, his yeah. his music is based off of all these old Godzilla movies anyway, so maybe we might get a new song from MF Doom. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's um, pretty much about it. What else do you want to talk about? Well, that's it for that. Um, I think Drake commented on a new album. Yeah, um, what is it about? Uh, sorry, what's the name of it again? It's called More Life. More Life or something like that. From what I've seen here, it's pretty much another long album, just like Views was. God, why, what is with Drake and long albums? Stop making long albums. I don't want to hear you drooling on for 81 minutes. Yes, this album clocks in at 81 minutes. And I oh. kind of dreaded to listen to it, but I actually have it. So I kinda inclined to listen to it, but I have a feeling I mightn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but apart from all that though, all that aside, uh Ricardo, where, where can we find you online, man? You can find me Ampersat on Twitter, Ampersat R M E D D Y on Twitter. And then you get a type in my name and you'll find me on Facebook. Alright, you could also find me on Twitter as well too. Just look for my handle, Legally Black MGB, MGB in capital letters. You could also look for my name, Matthew Billy, on Facebook and also a Legally Black official fan base where you find the link to this recording here as well as the other podcasts that we've done before. Um, so yeah, so stuff to look forward to. Well, finally, um, Beauty and the Beast is coming out. Well, like yeah, we mentioned so before, so it's coming out. Uh, it came out already in IMAX. I am not going right. to see it in IMAX. Sorry, no. Yeah, no. Um, but I will see it all the same. I'm really excited to see it. Uh, Power Rangers. Right. I still want to see it, but I, w- I waited for like um, some early reviews first. I, w- I just want to see what people say about it. Is that this week? It's supposed to. So this week is what? Right, 19th, right? Yeah, Power Rangers, Beauty and the Beast. Um, Boss Baby. I don't know anything about it. I'm uh, sorry. I just don't. Um, well, chips, really no, 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 no. And chips, no. Yeah, no. Fuck chips. Yes, and <laughs> I love that. I like how you say that. And Ghost in the Shell. Right, Ghost in the Shell. Which but I, I am that's actually that's eager that's to see. That's not this week, though. Quite... I know, I know. It's, it's next week, but it's talking about March, the end of March. Right. Up until no, yeah. the end of March, sorry. Right. Yeah. So um, those are, well, 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 you know, in particular, Ghost in the Shell, um, Beating the Beast, and hopefully Power Rangers. I, I just hoping for the best for this one. If it, if it just not, if it just doesn't take itself too seriously, if it just goes with the intention of just having fun, then I have a feeling people will actually like it and they'll get good reviews and maybe a little three star or maybe I, a little fifty something. I on, on, expect it to be fun, but I, yeah. I need nothing yet. So no, or it could be a monumental failure and crash and burn in the box office. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Right. So yeah, uh, that's pretty much about it. So once again, guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you listen to this. This was Machibili and Ricardo Marina. And we are <laughs> signing off from another episode of Bears, Beats and Beats. So take care, guys. Alice, and before I forget, just remember this one line. King Kong ain't got shit on Samuel Jackson. Yeah. What Skull Island you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> Alright, guys. Take care. Until the next one. Peace. Right.